Hello and welcome to the Standing for Truth Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Bedinsky, and together we will venture on a journey to explore the truth of biblical creation. Our ministry is also available on YouTube, so please search Standing for Truth and get access to the video versions of our programs. I'm Donnie Bedinsky, and as usual, stay awesome and trust in the truth of God's Word. Okay, looks like we are live. Welcome everybody to Standing for Truth. My name is Donnie and I am your host and moderator for tonight's exciting debate on dispensationalism. It is a privilege to have pastors Matt First and Anthony Aquino here with me to debate this important and sometimes controversial topic. The question we are specifically engaging tonight is, who is true Israel? Now, before we get into the opening statements and the debate itself, I'd like to uh, I'd like to get to know the uh, guests a bit. Pastor Anthony, this is your uh, first time here on the channel, and so it's it's always uh, great to have new faces on the platform. So why don't we start with you, just in terms of an introduction, as in a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your uh, ministry or church. All right. My name is Anthony Aquino. I'm the pastor of Cal Allen Baptist Church. Go Wildcats. And um, I uh, graduated from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary with a Master's of Divinity and a concentration in biblical languages. Uh, I love the Lord. I've been saved for many years now, multiple decades. I love teaching God's word. I love preaching God's word. I love talking about apologetics and finding evidence for God's word and the truth of the gospel. Um and sharing that with others. Um, so I've been in ministry going on, man, it's about 19 years now, including student ministry, family ministry, and now senior pastor. And I look forward to being a part of this. Thank you, Donnie, for letting me participate in this important debate. And thank you to Lamplighter Studios, Micah Hyatt, for allowing me to use his studio to, to do this debate. So Awesome. Well, I appreciate you giving us the time, uh, Pastor, yeah. for this important debate. Uh, Pastor Matt, first, great to have you back. Uh, this will be your third time here. Both of your previous debates really were a hit. Uh, they're definitely uh, debates to remember, so I'm really looking forward to this one as well. Pastor, how have you been? A little bit about yourself and a little bit about uh, your church. Yes, well, I'm Pastor Matt Furs. I feel like a broken record since this is, I think, the third month in a row, but I don't mind. It's great. <laughs> Uh, Pastor Matt Furs, Mountain View Baptist Church, Custer, South Dakota. Um, coming up on 20 years here at this church. Uh, doesn't seem that could be so, but it is. I just turned 50 last week. Um, and uh, before I was here, I was pastoring in Wyoming and uh, graduated from Bible school. Seems like a couple centuries ago. Um, I have four grown children. Uh, the youngest is 19. One is married. Uh, we're praising the Lord for our children, uh, their salvation, uh, the one that's married, praising the Lord for that, uh, praising the Lord for the future of our children, and then our church, our church family, and uh, what a blessing uh, they are, and more than I deserve. I'm just way better than than I can ever <clears throat> deserve, and, and uh, more blessed than than I should be, and if I died uh, with now one more blessing, I, I've already got way more than I deserve, and I, I say that seriously, and praise the Lord for my family, my wife, and, and children, and 
and my church family. Um, praise the Lord for the word of God, for salvation. I have a funeral tomorrow, a lady that was saved in our church through our church ministry. Uh, she's, uh, she's in heaven now and looking forward to preaching that tomorrow and preaching the gospel to some unsaved friends of hers. Um, I did write two books. First one came out several years ago and hold that up for you. Who is Israel? Uh, and it's just a result of me starting to ask questions and studying and also respect for my pastor, Wayne Williams, who's in heaven now. Uh, his, his belief and his teaching, his theology uh, resulted in a 101 thesis that he wrote. And I just knew that he was a student of the word. And I knew that if he said it differently, there must be a reason. And so I started to dig after Bible college. I started to dig into what does the Bible really say about eschatology? And then I found out that there's this thing called dispensationalism. I've heard the word thrown around a lot. Uh, but what is that? And, uh, and so then I started digging into the subject of Israel because I realized that when you boil it all down, it, it, a lot of it really boils down to who is Israel? What do people think of Israel? What's the future of Israel? Which is the true Israel, the definition of Israel? And so along came this book. And then uh, over a year ago, a year and a half ago, 14, 15 months ago, I wrote the second one, Which One is Right? Uh, basically, the King James Bible versus pre-tribulation rapture. And uh, when the first book came out about who is Israel, I had people saying that I was anti-Semite, blah, blah, blah. I was an Andersonite, which neither one of those things were true. Um, and so I thought, well, I'll just show you from the King James Bible why I can't believe the pre-tribulation rapture and why I've come to the conclusions I've come to about some of the things that dispensationalists uh, hold to. And because what I am more than anything is a King James Bible uh, believer, defender. And uh, I just know that that is the word of God for English speaking people. And I trust it. And so I found myself uh, trying to fit dispensationalism as a square peg into a round hole of truth in the word of God. And I couldn't do it. And so there is the reason why those two books came out. doesn't matter if I sell one more book or not. That's not my income. That's not my my purpose. But I have sold quite a few, and it is a blessing whenever I hear from people, including someone that called me yesterday, who happens to be from Texas, and and uh, they're just excited to have someone to talk to. Um, a couple months ago, someone found this book in a doctor's office waiting room in Georgia, just sitting there, and uh, they were excited about it because they were interested in the subject and went home and read it and uh and then called me and ordered the second one and it was just cool the way that happened you know i mean they just went to a doctor's office for an appointment and found the book sitting there in the waiting room and, and uh, picked it up and took it home and so there's crazy stories like that of people that have discovered that and so i it's encouraging when i realize i'm not the only one out there probably people listening to us tonight will be um intrigued one way or the other and i just have found that there are a lot of people out there that are, have been scratching their heads when it comes to eschatology in Israel and just something just doesn't feel right, doesn't sound right. And either the Bible isn't right or then the theology isn't right. I've decided the Bible's right and that's where I'm at on this and that's why I'm here again tonight. Okay, Pastor, thank you so much uh, for that introduction. Great introductions from the both of you. It really is a pleasure and a privilege to have you both here, pastors, for this uh, debate. The main topic for the debate, for the audience sake, is who is true Israel? Now, questions related to this topic that we will be discussing 
and engaging include who are God's true chosen people? Is there a future for national Israel? Who is the true seed of Abraham? Who inherits the promises of Abraham? What is the biblical meaning of the word dispensation? Is there going to be an end times mass conversion of unbelieving Jews to Christianity? And these are just a few of the questions that that we'll be engaging tonight. Now, the format for tonight is going to be 12 minute opening statements, which we will start with Anthony Aquino. Then we're gonna have an eight minute uninterrupted rebuttal followed by a roughly 40 to 45 minute free-flowing discussion. So rather than a really strict cross-exam, we're going to keep it more conversation style, sticking to the topic and discussing the uh, points brought up in the openings and rebuttals. Then we'll have a five-minute concluding statement where the debaters tonight can wrap up their thoughts and points. And then this is where we get you guys in the audience involved. We're going to have a roughly 25 to 30-minute audience question and answer period. Whenever we do debates on eschatology or dispensations, and we get a lot, we get a ton of questions coming in. So please just make sure you're tagging me, uh, let's say either at Donnie or at Standing for Truth, and we'll make sure to have a, a fun and engaging Q&A period. So with that, Pastor Anthony Aquino, we're going to hand it over to you. And whenever you're right. ready, you've got 12 minutes. All right, let me quickly say hello to my wife and uh, my daughter, Grace, and son, Dylan, and son, Vincent. Um, and my mom and dad. Anyways, and thank you to my church family. With that said, I do want to keep it very conversational, and I want to state my position and what I believe is is essentially uh, what I think the scripture is clearly teaching. I want to state up front that I'm not, uh, I don't hold to Schofieldism. I've never owned a Schofield Bible. The closest thing I've ever had to a Schofield reference Bible is my, growing up, my father owned, had a, a Ryrie study Bible that he would often read out of. But other than that, I'm, I don't consider myself at all uh, a Schofield or adhere to any of the things that he taught. What do I mean by that? Well, I don't believe there's two ways of salvation. I don't believe that. I don't believe that Israel is special in the sense that it's uh, a, a higher race or privileged or um, I don't I don't believe that either. Um, I uh, didn't attend Dallas Seminary. In fact, uh, when I first applied there, they told me spend some more time in ministry and come back. So it was actually rejected from Dallas Seminary. And I went to Southwestern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary. So my position is not at all um, a, what you might consider classical dispensational uh, in regards to, uh, again, two ways of salvation and uh, th these matters. As I read, I tried to read some of uh, Pastor First's book. Uh, I'm not I don't mean to demean it in any way, but it's approximately 400 pages, at least it is on Kendall. And there's about 200, almost 200 uh, references to Schofield in that book. So every other page almost, there's some reference to what Schofield seemed to teach. And again, I want to state up front, I'm not Schofield. Here's my position simply put, that the there is a Israel. There is, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10 and 32, uh, give no offense neither to the Jews, there's one group, nor to the Gentiles, as another group, nor to the church of God. It doesn't mean that you can be saved in different ways. Everyone's saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. I think that anyone in the Old Testament saved alone by looking forward to the cross, and those in our time look uh, believe in uh, looking back at the cross. So what, what does it mean by Israel? And again, I know there's different ways to understand this term, 
uh, what is Israel has some different references. But when I'm speaking about it, when I'm speaking about the Jews, I'm talking about the fact that God made a promise beginning in Genesis 3.15 that he would bring somebody forth from woman to defeat uh, the, the serpent, to defeat Satan. And as we go through the scriptures, he uh, talks to he selects Abraham and then Abraham's uh, son, Isaac. And then he's outworking his mysterion, his battle plan, and he has uh, identifies Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. And then finally, Judah is identified as the one to bring forth the Messiah. And this Messiah shows up, and he is essentially rejected by those that should have accepted him and recognized him, according to prophecy, and they crucify him. They uh, crucify him and essentially... Paul tells us in other places in scripture that this nation of Israel is rejected. Uh, they're scattered throughout the world, uh, as uh, Jeremiah 30, 31, 32 describes. They're scattered throughout the world, scattered throughout the nations. They become a reproach of the nations. Uh, the nations uh, look upon them as though they're, that, you know, they are the scourge and they are rejected by God in a sense. They are persecuted and scripture says that they are to be regathered. So they are where they reject the Messiah, Israel is scattered amongst the nations, but God promises he will regather them, Isaiah 11, 11. He has regathered them a second time. I begin, I believe that process has started and with the nation of Israel. It was formed in 1947, 1948. It's not totally complete. It's uh, It was started in 1947, and they are waiting the return of their Messiah to the Mount of Olives in which they will recognize that he is their Messiah, and at that point, all Israel will be saved. Where do I get that from? Well, I really want to focus tonight on uh, two, really want to lay a lot of the focus on Romans 11. I think that the language used in Romans 11 will help us categorize what I mean, what Pastor First means, and see who's being most consistent with Scripture. Uh, I want to use Occam's razor, if you uh, if you will, to try to look at Scripture and consider which of our views can, takes in the least assumptions, which is plainly on the, on the table. It's easily to un, easy to understand uh, what is Scripture telling us. And uh, with that said, I it, just to, to be very simple, Isaiah 11, 11 again says that the, it, that the nation will be regathered. Israel will be regathered a second time. They have been. Zechariah 12, chapter 12, beginning in verse 10, it says that these that this nation will look upon me, God speaking, on whom, uh, uh, whom they pierced. And it says they will mourn for one as though one mourns for an only son. So this nation has to be in the land because he appears in the land. They look upon uh, this Messiah, this one speaking in Zechariah 12, upon whom uh, they pierce. And it says that these same very same people mourn for this one who's been pierced. They recognize who he is and they mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And so if so, for those that are listening tonight, if you really want to put your finger in a few different spots to really uh, hang on to where I'm going to go, I don't want to go all over the Bible because I think a lot of things are not even worth uh, spending a lot of time on. I don't want to debate the length and breadth of the land promised to Israel. That's to me is, is beside the point. I am trying to say that there is a promise in scripture identify that a people called Israel uh, are, will, God still has a plan for them in his culmination of this age. And again, they are called chosen because God chose them for a job, chose them for a purpose, not because they were the best. In fact, Scripture says it was just by his grace, his selection of the nation of Israel to bring forth the Messiah. And then finally, at the culmination of time of, of this, this this age that we live in now. Uh, what do we see in the world? Again, what which which again, our first 
our highest priority is scripture. But what do we see taking place? Again, my view says that the Jews were scattered in the world. They were persecuted. They'll be persecuted in the world and then they'll be regathered. Um, why? Uh, what is the time frame? Well, scripture tells us that there'll be a time where God turns to the Gentiles. He works mainly through the Gentile nations. And when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, uh, Romans 11 tells us, uh, then he, uh, all Israel will be saved. So there's, there'll be a time when the Jews will be scattered throughout the world, where the uh, God's actions and working primarily will be through Gentile nations. Isn't that not what we see? Is this not consistent with the world we live in? Were the Jews not scattered in the world, AD 70, and, and also some may say into the second century AD? They are scattered in the world. Uh, they were persecuted. They had no land. They had no claim to a land at that time. And uh, yet they were regathered. And uh, we still, right now, it's not, we, we haven't reached that point. But the uh, God is still working through the nations. But I believe that in the future, he will uh, finally turn to the nation of Israel to culminate again this age. So I think that's consistent with scripture. And I think it's consistent with what we see. Why is this important? Well, there's much apologetic value to the nation of Israel and God's faithfulness, his promise to not completely cast off Israel, his grace in that regard. There's so much grace that can be found in seeing that, yes, God has made promises to a group of people called uh, Israel, the Jews, if you will, and he has kept those promises. He's not totally rejected them as a nation. He still has a plan for them. And when we consider the fact that in Acts 2, Peter uh, uh, lays the charge of the crucif uh, crucifixion or killing of, of God's son to those very people. And so you would think that God would have all the reason in the world to be completely to cast them off. But no, God's grace, his heart is so huge and his promises are so faithful that even that nation that is, is held, uh, I won't say obviously not completely. We're all guilty in some sense for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ because we're all sinners. But in the primary sense, uh, he has still not rejected them completely. And we see his faithfulness in the world in the regathering of Israel post-Holocaust. And uh, what, what a great testimony. I tell my church, I tell uh, we have what's called an apologetic moment every Sunday. That's just a brief time before the sermon where we look at something from the news, from scripture, from science that just bolsters our faith a little bit in the in the God's word and the truth of the gospel. And I often tell my church, hey, as you go throughout your day, when, when you need it, when you consider the world that you're in, don't forget there's the Israel is there and God's been faithful to Israel and it's not our only reason for believing, but it's a constant reminder that he is the sovereign God that will do what he has promised, not because Israel is a great nation in regards to their righteousness not because they are sinless by any means, but who of us are um, righteous enough to earn God's favor? Certainly not. I'm not. I'm saved by the grace of God completely. By faith, by faith in, alone in Jesus Christ. And so when I say that Israel still has a purpose in God's plan, that doesn't mean that they are the most holy. I, I often hear, and I've read some in uh, Pastor First's book, and I will refer to his book oftentimes. I hope I'm not being offensive, but some of this book is offensive. And um, some of the things that it, it, it deals with in regards to uh, the Holocaust, um, and I, like I said, I haven't read every single word, but I've read much of it. It's, it's quite... Um, it, it, it is quite offensive, and I'll just be be honest. I'm not uh, I'm not a Jew myself or Israelite myself. Certainly not. Uh, I don't claim to be. Uh, but it's I think it's offensive in regards to viewing God's word, and it's offensive in regards to its denial of actual history. Uh, with that said, I don't want to get sidetracked in that, uh, nonetheless. But you have. Israel scattered, they're regathered, and uh, Jesus Christ will come back, put his feet on the Mount of Olives, Zechariah 12. They will look upon him whom they pierced, whom they pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And then at that point, the Israelites living at that time in that land, uh, seeing Jesus Christ, seeing their Messiah, they will believe. And in that sense, all Israel will be saved. How much time do I have left, Donnie? 
Are you there? Good question, uh, Pastor. Yeah, you've got exactly. Let me just double check for you. You just hit the 10 minute mark. So you got two okay, minutes. Great. Okay, great. Again, so this isn't Schofieldism. I'm not that type of dispensate. You can call me what you want, but I think I'm just a biblicist. Let me share with you just a few brief quotes uh, in regards to others who held my view that couldn't be called uh, followers of Schofield. This is uh, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he says, I think we do not attach sufficient importance to the restoration of the Jews. We do not think enough about it. But certainly, listen closely, uh, if anything, if anything is promised in the Bible, it is this. I imagine you cannot read the Bible without seeing clearly that there is to be an actual restoration of the children of Israel. For when the Jews are restored, the fullness of the Gentiles shall be gathered in. And as soon as they return, Jesus will come upon the Mount Zion and his ancients and gloriously and the and the halcyon days of the millennium shall be on the dawn. That is from Charles Spurgeon. That is pre-Schofield and uh, certainly pre-1947. What an amazing prophetic statement based on uh, the writings of Scripture. Uh, even early church fathers. Again, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a. I won't even get into pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip. But let me just share one last quote. This is from an early church father. We see uh, a Tertullian it says, "God will His favor and His acceptance and blessing the circumcision also, even the race of Abraham." Uh, he has urged Christians to anticipate eagerly and rejoice over the coming restoration of Israel, uh, for it will be fitting for the Christians to rejoice and not to grieve at the restoration of Israel. That the whole of our hope is intently united with the remaining expectation of Israel. Now, Tertullian wasn't. Um, he couldn't be considered a Zionist or any way. He's not pro-Israel uh, uh, in the sense that uh, someone may say that they he is uh, too pro-Israel. He's often made statements people claim to be anti-Semitic. All I'm saying is here's a quote from Tertullian, early a, a, a Christian father that clearly is agreeing with my position. Israel exists and it will be restored. Justin Martyr, I won't quote him, but if I need to in, in further discussion, I can. Um, 20 seconds. So that's and that's my position. Israel scattered, Israel restored, and Israel will be saved. Pastor Anthony Aquino, thank you so much for that 12-minute opening statement. And so let me restart the timer. I will let the audience know that I am all caught up on questions. Already some excellent questions coming in. We're not even through the opening statements. Uh, Pastor Matt first, if you are there, um, we can now... Pastor, can, can you hear? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. I think you might have accidentally clicked your webcam off. All right. Should be. Yes. All right. And if you want to put yourself. Okay. You're back in focus. Okay. You're good. So uh, 12 minutes and we'll start now. Pastor, floor is yours. All right. Great. Well, thank you and uh, appreciate that. Um, I find that uh, even though people don't use a Schofield Bible necessarily or, or having had owned one, uh, they're still influenced by the teaching of dispensationalism. Uh, and it does permeate, it seems like, most of our century now. Um, and for instance, most Bibles, even King James Bibles, are reformatted in the way they're printed to match the Schofield divisions in chapters. Uh, I can show you that in Romans 11 and also Matthew 24 and other places. Uh, in other words, different than the original pilcrows or paragraph markers that the 1611 King James had. And uh, so I do think there's some influence and, and even subtle influence even in the way our Bibles are printed and formatted. Uh, and then, of course, the teaching, the doctrine, uh, I think is, is obviously uh, twisted as well and inserted. I think that was one of the great... Um, tools 
uh, in all of this, and I'm just going to say tool of Satan, to insert Schofield's notes and uh, edits in the King James Bible. And 100 years ago, someone should have risen up. I think people did, but more people should have risen up in opposition to the fact that this study Bible came out. And then uh, I think when 1948 happened, uh, you know, in the Balfour Declaration before that, I think that seemed to make Schofield and, and dispensationalism very prophetic and, and, on, and on and on. Uh, 1948 is kind of the magic number. And even though we're not supposed to set dates, uh, lots of dates, date setting has happened since then. And um, there's, uh, there's uh, 70, what, about 75 years now. And uh, they've talked about the fig tree blossoming and, and how that's the nation of Israel and whatnot. Um, and uh, one preacher, Philip, uh, excuse me, John Phillips said uh, that this is the generation that's going to see the Lord. Well, he's dead. He died several years ago and, and uh, Jesus still hasn't returned yet. So I think the date setting, even amongst dispensationalists, uh, is starting to embarrass them. Because if we keep going uh, pretty soon, 80 years, 90 years, how long can people live this generation of 1948 that supposedly is supposed to be the last generation? So there's some problems with that. Uh, but more importantly, though, is just the fact, what does the Bible say? Uh, what does the word of God say? And it says in Romans chapter nine, they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. So obviously there is a spiritual Israel and there is a physical Israel. And, um, you know, you talk about the lineage or <clears throat> the current Jewish people, the current nation of Israel. I have a hard time believing that anyone alive today can truly authentically prove that they are descended from Abraham uh, any more than I could prove it that I am. Um, and I will just say the Bible backs me up on that because Paul said more than once, we're not supposed to pay attention to endless genealogies. And that goes for everybody. The only genealogy that mattered at the end was the genealogy, the lineage of Christ. And once Christ came on the scene, the Bible itself did not list any more genealogies because it wasn't necessary. But it is necessary if you're trying to establish some kind of physical pedigree. But Galatians says there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. Uh, and, and, and so it's about a spiritual birth. It's about a new birth. Jesus said that to a Jew named Nicodemus. You must be born again for all your pedigree and everything you've got through uh, the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, through the, the lineage of the Jews in the southern kingdom. You must be born again. This was a foreign concept to them. And uh, the the idea that they are physically some chosen people today, I think, first of all, it's hard for them to even prove that. I've been to Israel. I've talked to my tour guide. I talked to others. They told me they can't prove it. They said they've even tried to prove it and they can't. And uh, even if they could, though, I'm not sure that we're supposed to because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And I know that People argue, well, that's not what it's talking about in that instance. But I, I do think it causes a pride, a pride and a prejudice and a racism uh, where we pick one group of people to be extra special versus another group of people who might be Arab or Palestinian or whatever. Uh, and I think that's wrong. I think that's where it leads and that's where it, it goes. Uh, instead, though, uh, as I said, the Bible says they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. You quoted Spurgeon. Let me quote Spurgeon. Um those who saw Christ day before it came had great differences as to what they knew, but they were all washed in the same blood, all redeemed with the same ransom price, and made members of the same body. Israel in the covenant of grace is not natural Israel, but all believers in all ages. And so he's referring to that spiritual Israel. And then a sermon called The Breaker and the Flock 
Spurgeon said, I regard this passage as setting forth a vision of spiritual things in which Micah dimly saw the gathering together and the heavenward march of the true Israel, namely the elect of God, whom he has given to his son Jesus and whom the Lord Jesus has undertaken to save. He is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. Romans chapter 2, verse 29. As Paul, by the Spirit of God, interprets the whole story of the covenant made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it is clear that we, brethren, the children of, pro of the promise, are the true seed. Even those who are born by divine power and as believers are the spiritual family of believing Abraham. If we have the faith of Abraham, we are the children of Abraham. And with us is the covenant made. For the seed of Abraham is not reckoned according to descent by the flesh. Otherwise would the covenant blessing have fallen to Ishmael and not to Isaac, to, I to Esau, not to Jacob. The covenant is... To, to a spiritual seed, born according to divine promise through divine power. The line in which the Lord has determined that the covenant blessing should run was ordered by divine sovereignty, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand. The Lord purposed that they which are born after the Spirit should be the true heirs, and not those that are born after the flesh. We therefore believe that to us, even to us who rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, appertain the promises and the covenant. It shall come to pass that all the elect of God shall yet be gathered together from the places where they have wandered in their sin, and for them a clear way shall be opened up to the land of their inheritance. And so again, these old-timers, pre-Schofield, they, they understood, they recognized a spiritual Israel. Uh, let me read you also something from G. Campbell Morgan. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan was a dispensationalist for quite a while, um, most of his life. Uh, but two years before his death in 1943, uh, he wrote this to, to a correspondent. I am quite convinced that all the promises made to Israel are found, are finding, and will find their perfect fulfillment in the church. It is true that in time past, in my expositions, I gave a def definite place to Israel in the purposes of God. I have now come to the conviction, as I have just said, that it is the new and spiritual Israel that is intended. And so, I'm not alone in this. I'm not the only one who thinks this or says this or has found this. And it wasn't quotes like that that convinced me. It was the Bible itself. As I quoted Spurgeon earlier, Romans chapter 2, uh, the last couple verses of the chapter. Uh, it is not circumcision outwardly, but inwardly. The circumcision of the heart, spiritual versus flesh. And, and then Galatians chapter 3. Uh, it talks about <clears throat> the fact that we are... We are all the children of God by faith. We are all the children of Abraham by faith. In Christ are we the, are the, we the children of Abraham, the same as the children of Abraham. Uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek, it says, bond or free. So <clears throat> the New Testament especially does away with the racism or the prejudice. And what schoolfieldism or dispensationalism is it brings it back to the forefront. And whether you like it or not, whether you mean to or not, you actually put a certain group of people up on a pedestal to the dismay and to the chagrin and to the disrespect of other groups of people. That's very wrong. That's not, that's not godly. That's not biblical. And it's not even American. I mean, uh, all men are created equal is what our American constitution and, and, and bylaws say. And so we, we recognize that. And yet this theology doesn't recognize that. And so I, I'm not, I'm not, I am not anti-Semite, although people will accuse me of that, but because I won't, raise them up on the pedestal that others will do, somehow that makes me anti-Semite. That's wrong. That's just like me saying, I do not support Barack Obama, never did vote for him. 
and someone saying, see, you're a racist. I'm not a racist just because I'm against someone's political views or ideology. That doesn't make me a racist. Neither is it a racism to point out what today's national Israel truly is and how anti-Christ they really are. And, uh, and even if your, um, your point of view is, was correct, even if in the end there is this national turning to the Lord, um, so what? That doesn't mean I have to be respectful of God-hating, Christ-rejecting people now. And someone might say, well, they're not God-hating. They still have God. No, the Bible says if you're without the Son, you don't have the Father. So if they reject Christ the Son, they don't even have the Father. So you can't really say they're God's chosen people if they've rejected Jesus Christ, because it says in the Word of God in 1 John, if you don't have, if you deny the Son, you, you don't have the Father. And so they're not even Father, Father approved. Um, and so I, I really think we've been hyped up to believe a lot of stuff. I think um, Satan is behind this. I think the media pushes this. I think uh, now our pulpits push it as well. And it's sad to see. Uh, and yet I am not I am not bent on this because I have some sort of angst or hatred for Jewish people. That has nothing to do with it. If my research had uncovered the Chinese or the Japanese or even the people in South Dakota, but whoever it happens to be, my research is still going to point to the fact that, you know what, what does God's word say? And I could be on a, on a desert Island all by myself with nothing but the word of God. And I could figure out who is the chosen people of God, who is the true Israel and who is the whore and who is the harlot, the mother of harlots as revelation talks about just from the Bible without having to have any man's notes or man's opinion or today's headlines. <clears throat> um, people should know that as I, when I wrote this book and I got to the end, uh, that who is Israel? The answer to that, my answer to that, is that Jesus Christ is the true Israel. Um, the Bible indicates that more than one place. Uh, Exodus chapter 4, the Bible illustrates that Jesus Christ, God said, that his son was the firstborn. He says, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, let my son go that he may serve me. And so Jacob wasn't firstborn. So who's God talking about? Well, then you realize that that connects directly as a cross reference to Hosea chapter one, Hosea chapter, excuse me, chapter 11, verse one, Hosea 11, verse one, it says, when Israel was a child, then I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt. 30 seconds. And that connects straight to Matthew chapter 2, where it says, concerning the prophecy of Jesus going to Egypt, it says, out of Egypt have I called my son, going back to Hosea 11, going back to Exodus 4. And so I believe that Israel is Jesus. He is the original Israel. Okay, Pastor Matt first, thank you very much. For that 12-minute opening statement, gentlemen, that concludes the opening statements for the debate. Now we're moving into the eight-minute uninterrupted rebuttal. And so, Pastor Anthony Aquino, whenever you're ready, the floor is yours for eight minutes. Go ahead. All right. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, uh, Pastor First. There, uh, let me say this again. I, I want to stress, uh, I don't know, maybe I've been influenced by Schofieldism, but I don't adhere to it. And... Uh, 
I quoted Tertullian. I could quote Justin Martyr. I could quote Irenaeus. These are way, these are, you know, early first, second century, third century church fathers long before Schofield was ever born, obviously. Uh, yes, I, uh, Pastor first said that the, the 1947, uh, uh, the nation of Israel, 1948, made uh, Schofield look prophetic. Well, I don't think that it did. Uh, what made Schofield look prophetic was the parts uh, where he was consistent with Scripture and the fact that Scripture, uh, that the prophecies of a regathering of Israel came true. Uh, yes, it made him look prophetic because in Scripture, where he is uh, consistent with Scripture, he was prophetic. Uh, he's the scripture says there would be a regathering of the nation of Israel. Now, in regards to uh, God's people, God's chosen people, again, I want to state that God had chose Israel uh, for a purpose to bring forth the Messiah and to have he's they are part of his plan at the culmination of this age. Doesn't make him special and it, it doesn't make them uh, on a pedestal. Uh, it doesn't. It's, but it also doesn't mean we should have a almost supernatural dislike or, or um, I won't say hatred, but. Uh, bent against them and why do i say that there's a um and, I, and let me say this again there is a sense in which yes we are we are all sons of abraham i understand that i'm being consistent with scripture but there's also a sense in which jesus was asked or was told your mother and your brother are here jesus and he said who are who is my mother and brother but those that do the will of god so there's that sense is spiritual that doing the will of god those are the uh, mothers and brothers of jesus christ but at the same time you see the physical aspect of that was still true. It wasn't, didn't make it untrue, the spiritual side, because on the cross, Jesus looked at John and said, behold your mother. Uh, he was essentially saying, that's my mom, John, take care of her. All right. So physically speaking, there is a people that God has chosen to work through at, at one time. He is, uh, they are hardened in unbelief, partially right now, and they will be regathered. They have been regathered uh, totally for the uh, culmination of what scripture has prophesied. Again, doesn't make them special, but it doesn't mean we should have a, a strange um, bent against them. Now, why do I say a strange bent against them? And again, I don't. I I very much appreciate Pastor First uh, his uh, demeanor. Uh, I've watched some of his uh, debates. I really do. I appreciate uh, um, his attitude. But I want to stress again, I'm, I'm Schofield. I don't know if I have been influenced by him. Uh, I can't tell you exactly where. I'm sure maybe we've all picked up some from Schofield. That said. Um, there does seem to be this really strange um, hatred at times for these people we, that's, that are uh, in the nation of Israel. And it's universal. I could give you quotes from, um, uh, well, the, the left and right. I, I don't want to go through that right now, but there is a, a hatred from what we might consider the nation of Islam, Louis Farrakhan. And then obviously from those that adhere to uh, the white supremacy, um, there's it's this the one area in which they agree is their hatred for the people known as Israel. Again, I'm not saying Israel, the people who are uh, Israelites are necessarily holy and righteous. It's the fact is that God chose them and his gifts and calling are without revocation. And he has a plan for them. They still need to believe in Jesus Christ. But in his working in this world, he is where he will be working through them uh, exclusively in the future. He has not completely rejected them as a nation. And I could go through scripture after scripture, but I won't take up all that time with that. Uh, but uh, you can look at uh, Jeremiah 30 through 30, chapters 30, 31, 32, uh, clearly lays this out. Uh, moving on. Um, uh, so you have this aspect that Israel, could Israel be referring to other things other than just the nation of Israel? I suppose so. Um, Pastor First says that uh, 
somehow Moses, when he goes to see Pharaoh, he says, uh, you know, let my people go, my firstborn. I don't know, was Jesus in, enslaved in Israel? I understand that ap uh, scripture has double applications. I realize that. That's clear. But just because uh, that uh, takes place and Israel is called as a nation, God's firstborn, uh, that doesn't mean somehow that's Christ. Is Christ called Israel? Perhaps in certain places. Certainly he fulfills certain things, but that doesn't mean that in other aspects, scriptures are not referring directly to the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. It isn't either or. It's God's faithfulness to all those that uh, all those that he's made promises to. And he's made promises to those that are of the nation of Israel. He's made promises. He will keep them. He's already in our own lifetime, not our own lifetime, but we are seeing the results of his faithfulness. And yet there's this um, strange um, unity in regards to hatred for people that are in the nation of Israel. And it's really, to me, it just seems to be, um, well, Pastor First called, and since my view, satanic and or used a word similar to that. And I would say that, yeah, I think it's a spirit. It's a satanic spirit, spirit of hatred for anyone God is working through and plans to be working through. Uh, I don't, I don't want to get into, I, it's not fair. I don't have a book, so it's not fair for me to, I don't think to be speaking uh, primarily from uh, the book that uh, pastor first has written, I, but I must make a few references in when our regards to this unnatural bent against God's people. Um, there's statements in here and tell, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, uh, pastor first, but such as, um, this attitude, this approach to scripture, uh, yeah, it has, uh, it, it has, um, effects in the way we look at the world and the way even we look at history. Uh, for example, um, a book that's supposed to be about a biblical identification of the people of Israel gets into how many, you know, almost a partial denial of the Holocaust. I hate to bring this up, but he says one wonders how 6 million Jews died at the hands of the Nazis when there are only about a half a million Jews in Germany at that time. And that is according to Kendall, the uh, electric edition, excuse me, page 375. Uh, it also questions on um, page 375. Um, are there any, uh, were there any human gas chambers at all? So uh, this theology, this view of scripture, it isn't just a biblical, uh, just trying to be consistent with biblical, with, with what the scripture has to say. It does have um, um, negative and almost, I would say, in some sense, satanic effects in the way we view history, not just scripture, but history and the future. And um, why do you have a book that's supposed to be the identification of Israel that gets into dealing with the, the at least the, the scope of the Holocaust? Um, why would that be included? It's, and that's just not the only thing. There are other things in this book that are citations from websites I won't even quote that I would say are highly offensive. And it just, I, again, I only bring it up to say we're not just talking about, oh, I'm just trying to be consistent with Scripture and that's it. No, it has an effect. There is um, an out. Uh, there is an outcome of, of this viewpoint, and it's very, very, very uh, unbiblical, first of all, I would say, and very unhistoric. And it, it shows up in, in a sense of uh, a unity in regards to hating those people that are of, of, of God, that God is working through, whether it's the church necessarily or in, in this discussion here, the nation of Israel. So, uh, no, I don't put the Israel, I don't put Jews on a pedestal, but I also don't have a uh, an extra special hatred for them or bent against them. I'm not saying Pastor First necessarily does, but his book does. His book certainly does. And I, I, if I was writing a book pro-Israel or against Israel, I don't understand how we're going to get into uh, questioning the effects of the Holocaust or even if it even ever, even existed. Um, so 30 seconds. That is to me, it just seems like that is the uh, the thing you have to go through when you when you're denying what's taking place in front of your very eyes. You have to go in to explain why was the nation of Israel regathered? Oh, they were regathered because they provoked Israel, Germany to a to a war. This is stated in his book. And so the Holocaust, they tried, they made it up and they used it as a battle ram to uh, 
get sympathy so they could be gathered. And I mean, you have to explain these things. You can't just say, look, it's prophesied in scripture and however it works its way itself out. God's faithful and his, and his word is true. And we've seen it take place and we should be rejoicing in it. The gifts and calling from God are without revocation. His grace is big, huge, never ending and amazing. I'm a benefit of it. And so is the nation of Israel. Okay, Anthony, thank you so much for the eight-minute rebuttal. We're now going to hand it over to Matt first for his eight-minute rebuttal. Matt, whenever you're ready, I'll start your timer. Go ahead. Okay, so <clears throat> what I believe is that Jesus Christ is the original Israel, and it's not just Exodus chapter 4, it's other places as well. Um, Isaiah chapter 49 says, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from far, the Lord hath called me from the womb, from the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name, and he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. Jesus is referred to that. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me, and said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for naught, and in vain, yet surely my judgment is with the Lord, and my work with my God. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb, to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Now, what's interesting here is it, it, the servant is called Israel, and it says, yet he is formed from the womb to be the servant to bring Jacob again. And also it goes on to say uh, that my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the ends of the earth. That's Isaiah 49, 1 through 6. That's referring obviously to Jesus Christ, and it's calling him the servant of God, whose name is Israel, bringing Jacob back. And so I do believe that Jesus Christ is the original Israel, and I believe that he gave his name to Jacob, and I believe the only way that Jacob or the descendants of Jacob can get saved or become the Israel of God is through Jesus Christ. And so do I provide uh, hope for the Jewish people? Absolutely. I don't provide it. God does. But it's the same thing that Jesus told Nicodemus. You must be born again. And so that is the hope. That is the way that the future uh, Israelite, the future Jew uh, can be born again, can be part of the family of God, can be can be salvaged, is through salvation like every one of us. There isn't this future uh, dispensational seven-year tribulation where God pre-programs pre all of them to just automatically get saved as some sort of predestinational thing. That's that's not what the Bible's teaching. What the Bible's teaching is now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so I do believe that Jesus Christ is the original Israel. Now, having said that, do you know what Antichrist is? Antichrist is anything that, e that either is opposed or uh, anti to Christ, but it's also, anti also means instead of or replacement. And what we have to understand is, is that the Jewish people are the false suedo Israel. They are the false chosen people. They are not the chosen people of God, but they, we are told that they are. They are not. Uh, Paul said, I persecuted the Christians in the Jews' religion. Uh, Paul recognized that, that what he had done in his in his Hebrew of the Hebrew, Pharisee of the Pharisee, uh, as touching the law perfect, uh, old-fashioned, Old Testament religion, was now wrong, and he counted it as dung that he could win Christ. And so the answer to uh, how does Israel 
have any hope today is through Jesus Christ, like any one of us. That is the answer. That is the only hope. That is the only way of salvation. Uh, but the Antichrist system is something we've got to understand. So when I talk about fleshly Israel, Israel after the flesh, I have to point out the fact that you've got the true Israel of God, and then you've got the fraud. You've, you've got the counterfeit. I have to write that in my book. I have to explain that because so many people are confused about that. And so I explain what Satan is doing. Every time God has something going on, Satan has a counterfeit. He has a parallel counterfeit to try to match what God is doing, just like he did with Moses in Egypt and the magicians tried to match what Moses was doing. That's what Satan's doing here. And so I believe in 1948 and all that, I believe that that's just Satan rising up, using the Rothschilds and others to bring about a decoy, a distraction, a false uh, sense of, of what Israel is supposed to be. That is not God's chosen people. John R. Rice said they're infidels. They're stealing land from Palestinians. That is not God's chosen people. Uh, they need to be born again before they can be called God's chosen people. And so chapter six of my book, before I write about who is the true Israel, Jesus, chapter six, I write who is the whore. And I'll just go ahead and say it. I believe that the Christ-rejecting, unsaved Jewish system that we see building and mounting today is the whore, the, the mother of harlots. And that's why I mentioned, and I did just mention the Holocaust. And oh, by the way, the word Holocaust or Holocausto in Spanish, in the Portuguese version, uh, in all of the Latino languages, Holocausto means burnt offering, whole burnt offering. Is it just a coincidence that Jesus Christ who is pictured by the Lamb of God as the whole burnt offering, has been somehow hijacked to, to focus on a group of people from about 70, 80 years ago who, who had a holocausto. See how the substitution that Satan is putting in there? I'm not denying the historical Hitler wickedness of a holocaust, quote-unquote, that they went through. I'm just saying I doubt the numbers. I doubt the, the six million. I do doubt that. I'm not real sure about the gas chamber, but that doesn't matter. That's not what the point is. The point is, is that it has been built up and there's literally museums all over the world and constant reminders of what this quote unquote 6 million people went through. And I don't care if it was 100 people. It was horrible. It was terrible. It shouldn't have happened. However, what about Pol Pot? What about the 60 million kids that have been aborted here in our country? Why is it that we are constantly reminded in the media and Hollywood about this one group of people? I'll tell you why, because it's, prop it's propaganda. It's, it's being propped up for a reason. And when you call it Holocausto, whole burnt offering, which is direct connect directly connected to the Lamb of God, who is a whole burnt offering, what a connection that is. What an antichrist connection that really is. Why did they have to call it Holocausto? Why couldn't they call it something else? That's very interesting to me. It all points to the same thing, and that is that I believe that the unsaved, Christ-rejecting Israel is going to get stronger and stronger until the very end. And that is the answer to the phenomenon of why they're resurging and why they have, quote-unquote, returned to the land. I do not believe, though, that Jesus Christ orchestrated them to come back in unbelief with his blessing. Rather, I believe that Satan is orchestrating it and God's allowing it because this is part of prophecy and it has to be done, just like... God allowed Romans uh, to listen to Pharisees and to nail Jesus to a cross. It had to be done. It had, that was part of God's plan. And so I see the stage being set. If I was a betting man, 
I would place bets on the modern state of Israel because I think they're just going to get stronger and stronger. I believe that America uh, is subservient to the Jewish lobby far and away. We're subservient. I believe the reason why we're in Ukraine right now is because of the Zionist connection that there is. The president of Ukraine is Jewish. Um, uh, the woman um, that 30 seconds. Uh, she's also Jewish. You might have heard of this uh, Noah Yuval Harari. He's the WEF darling, and he's a sodomite Jew who is talking about hacking human brains, human minds, and, and causing people to become pretty much just hackable and programmable. This is all coming to pass for a reason. That is not anti-Semitic. I'm just telling you the facts. This, this is what's out there. I can't do anything about the fact that other people hate Jews and they hate them with hatred that's wrong. I can't do anything about the fact of what Hitler might have done. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, and we got to be careful. I'm, I realize I'm treading on thin ice here, and I'm, and I'm telling second rope here. But we have to be careful that we don't avoid what the Bible says just because we're afraid to look like we're anti-Semitic or something. Okay, thank you, uh, pastors, for the eight-minute rebuttals. That now concludes the opening statements and the rebuttal portions for the debate. We're now moving into the roughly 40, 45-minute uh, free-flowing discussion, the topic being dispensationalism and who is true Israel. So with uh, limited time, discussions always fly by. I want to make sure as moderator, I, I may guide the question, uh, the discussion at times, as I want us to focus as much as we can on, on the scriptural evidence. And so let's do this. Pastor Matt first just ended with his rebuttal. And so, uh, Pastor Anthony, why don't we give you the opportunity to uh, pick the first topic or ask the first question to kind of get this discussion going. So, gentlemen, the floor is yours. Okay, yeah, let me start by saying this. At the end of your book, you said, Israel is the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel is the whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Israel is the whole family of God. Uh, why can't there be another category, a fourth one, that say Israel is what Scripture 90% of the time is calling Israel a nation? Uh, Romans 11. Um, could you just not add another one to say, okay, and it's also at times Israel is also a people. It, well, it can be referred to everything you talk about. Sure. The, Peter said that. He said, you are a holy nation, a royal nation, a holy people, a chosen generation. You are a people that in times past were not a people that are now the people of God. So there is a holy nation. There is a peculiar people. There is a royal nation. That That is, but but the, the chosen generation that Peter talks about, uh, he talks about the chosen generation. This is it, the genre. This is the, the born again seed. All right. And so, um, I do believe there is a holy nation, but again, when it when all the dust settles and we're in eternity, it won't matter if you had a lineage, pedigree, DNA provability to Abraham. You still have to be born again, and if they're not born again, they're not part of the chosen generation, the holy nation, the peculiar people. And so, in the end, the answer is for them the same as the answer is for all of us. We must be born again, all of us. And, and, and there's no need for them to have some special status. In fact, special status just causes them to reject Christ. And and there's people like John Hagee and others. And I and I know you're probably not John Hagee. Yeah. Right? Let me. Uh, let me but, but 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 those people are coddling them, and and they're and they're they're petting them and calling them God's chosen people to the point of. Uh, false doctrine and heresy and and we're loving them to death 
We're love. We're literally loving them to death. It's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. And and I, of course, I'm against anyone who who's anti-human uh, being. Uh, and and by the way, our church supports a missionary in Israel right now. We send financial support to a missionary who is a who is a physical born Jew who then got born again. And our hope is that he would uh, reach the people with the gospel of Jesus Christ over there in Israel. We are not anti-Israel. We're just anti-lies and anti-false doctrine. Okay, let me say this again. I believe you must be born again. Certainly, uh, in reference to an, or the, your earlier discussion, I would say that, I look, my wife works for the Pregnancy Center here in the Coastal Bend. We're extremely pro-life. We're, activi we're activists in that regard. And, uh, I, you know, Christians can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can talk about true, the Israel in this context and also be against the other holocausts that are going on. With that said, um, I, I'm, I guess my – the. the Concern I have is truly scripture. So why don't we go there? Why don't we take a look at um, Zechariah 12? Maybe. And just sort of exegete some of this passage. I won't go through all of it, but beginning at verse 10, after God talks about pouring out his grace on the, um, excuse me, my eyes are going bad, but it says, I will pour out in the house of David. This is verse 10, the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplications. They shall look upon me. And I will say this, too, uh, in regards to uh, the Bible versions, Pastor First. Uh, I don't know if I'd be called a, a fundamentalist King James only, but in regards to the scripture, the version that I choose, it is King James. And I believe that whether it disagrees with other versions, I'm going with the King James. So uh, I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplications. Um, so he's going to pour out grace upon supplications upon the inhabitants, those that are living in Jerusalem. Um, and they will look upon me whom they pierce, whom they pierced. They will look upon me. Obviously, this is God speaking in the person of Jesus Christ. So he pours out grace and supplications on the inhabitants, those in Jerusalem, and they will look upon me whom they pierced. And then this is the, uh, the part that gives it a time frame. Again, this is fulfilled in John chapter 19, I believe, uh, but not all of it's fulfilled. Right. It's partially fulfilled in John chapter 19. They do, but they don't do this next part here, which says they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. The inhabitants of Jerusalem, not just a few of his followers, will mourn for him. The ones that pierced him. I don't think, you know, necessarily could, be said, could even be said that Peter and his disciples necessarily pierced Christ. But the inhabitants of Jerusalem and their descendants who still identify in much the same way, they did. And it says they will look upon me whom they pierced. And they will mourn from his one moans for his only son, and uh, they, and as one is bitterness for his firstborn. So I would just ask you, uh, we'll stop there. When when does this take place? When do the inhabitants of Jerusalem look upon Jesus, look upon the one they pierced, and mourn for the fact that they pierced him? When does this take place? Well, I think you answered it. John chapter nineteen, verse thirty six and thirty seven. John said that that was fulfilled at that time, and we know that there was great mourning at the crucifixion. We know that people were mourning at the crucifixion. We know that at least his mother, like you mentioned earlier, was mourning. And I am sure quite a few others were mourning as well, especially in, in the days that follow, you know, in the, in the hours that followed, they, they, they mourned for him. And so it, it's pouring out his grace is the clue there. Uh, it's not wrath yet. It's still grace. And so um, he is presently pouring out his grace. And any Jew who realizes that, uh, that Jesus Christ did die on the cross in their land. And the people who shortly afterwards 
Uh, we know that the Apostle Paul, who was named Saul, was alive at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. I don't know where Saul was at the time. But when Saul got saved, no doubt he probably mourned when he realized that he, he might have even had a part in it. But I, I, I'm sure that he was mourning as he thought about the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified in his presence or at least uh, nearby. And so the mourning took place back then. I don't think that mourning is future. I think Zechariah 12 is past tense. Crucifixion again it's referred to in, in the first chapter of Revelation. Again, um, the, we have multiple examples of double uh, fulfillment. Uh, but you have you're saying that the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It says, that, and again, I'm not trying to put. Like I said, I like Pastor First. I think again, he has a great demeanor. Some of the things that are in his book are extremely troubling, um, and that's and I think it's completely unbiblical. And I think I come to these debates hoping a discussion can either shape me in ways I need to be turned in certain directions. And I'm praying for Pastor First uh, that, that he can see the error of what he's teaching in this book. And uh, and, and me, if I'm doing the same, uh, and and I don't have any sort of angst against him. With that said, I'm not trying to, I don't have all the answers. I don't know if you have the scriptures memorized. But in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 and following, I want you to think about this. You, you're saying this is the, the sort of forced exegesis I think it's required when you don't have a category of the people of Israel, unsaved needing to be saved, but still the category of Israel. In, the inhabitants of, in that day, the inhabitants of Jerusalem will pour out the spirit of grace and supplication. They will look upon me whom they pierced, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and they will mourn for him. They're going to mourn for the fact that they're piercing uh him, me, it's what it says. And so this mourning is, is, is clearly a recognition that they have pierced someone that they shouldn't have. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only, an only son. This bitter mourning. You're saying that the nation, the, the inhabitants of Jerusalem fulfilled this. The inhabitants of Jerusalem mourned for the fact they pierced Jesus Christ with the bitter mourning one has it for an only son. Or You're telling me that's what took place back then? The inhabitants of Jerusalem had that type of mourning? At least some of the inhabitants of Jerusalem on the day of the crucifixion mourned. There's Who? no doubt about it. Who? Who? Well, at least yeah. his mother, at least. John, John, do you think John was cheering? John and his mother no, were staying there. That's you're talking people. about the inhabitants so, of Jerusalem. Inhabitants. You're giving me John and Mary. Look, That's not, I mean, there's not a balance there. Look, well, well, look, John himself, all right? I'm just going to turn to it and read it. John chapter 19, verse 36 and verse 37. I mean, if, if I'm guilty of some kind of bad theology here, John 19, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse 36, John writes, For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they pierced. And so that's straight out of Zechariah chapter 12. So I don't know how you can say that I'm being terribly uh, lousy in my interpretation of that passage when John used Zechariah 12 to talk about the crucifixion. And if you're going to tell me that there was no mourning at the crucifixion, I don't believe that at all. And then Pastor, you mentioned you know, Revelation, you mentioned Revelation chapter one, but in Revelation chapter one, it doesn't talk about mourning. In Revelation chapter one, it just says, behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him and they also which pierced him and all kindreds right. of the earth shall wail because of him. Now, hold on a second. Well, Praise God. When, Jesus, that's when Jesus returns, the guilty will see him because I don't believe in this seven year secret rapture and then a seven year pre-tribulation. So so when Jesus returns, every eye will see him and those who pierced him 
they'll they'll see him and they'll wail. Uh, it, it'll it, it won't be the same as the crucifixion. It'll be different because the period of grace, the time of grace, will be over. And so I, I just don't have a problem uh, as I read Zechariah twelve what, what, in what you're saying anyway. Uh, and I hope I hope I'm making myself clear. But um, you can ask if you still have questions. Yeah, let me let me redirect it. So again, in Revelation it says they will see him coming in clouds. So obviously there's John does say that there was a fulfillment of this at the end of uh, John chapter nineteen. There's obviously going to be a future fulfillment of it as described in Revelation. That didn't take place at the cross. Uh, all, you would agree. And so with that said. Uh, they will look upon me whom they pierce, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I mean, again, I want this should be something simple. People should be able to open up the scripture and read where it's clear and go, yeah, that makes sense. Here it is in Zechariah chapter 12, 10 uh, and following. Uh, they're going to look upon me whom they pierce, Jesus Christ, and they will mourn for me as one mourns for an only son. This bitter mourning. That didn't take place at the cross, not with Mary and John. That's come on. That's the inhabitants of Jerusalem. No way. It must be a future uh, occurrence. And Revelation chapter one clearly lays that out. Uh, behold, he comes in the clouds. This will take place. He will put his feet on the Mount of Olives. And right now, everyone has to believe in Jesus Christ. You must be born again. I don't care. Jew, non-Jew, doesn't matter. I don't I don't look. I would say this, too. Um, if, if David Preston was on here, I have multiple uh, uh concerns with his theology totally in fact this is a sidetrack uh, forgive me donnie the next person that debates this guy would someone please ask him here how he applies john three sixteen, because you can't with his uh wrong theology he has what i would say you're describing a an unbalanced view of israel clearly so with that said i'm not i'm not saying that there's any you must be born again all i'm saying is israel god does not give up on people and his grace is 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 huge. His, his faithfulness to his word is consistent. And thank God for that. Israel has been uh, partially hardened. They will, though, they will look upon their Messiah whom they pierced and they will mourn at that moment for for as one mourns bitterly for a firstborn son. That hasn't happened. If there's anything that you if, if you remember anything from this debate in this audience, remember Zechariah chapter 12 and 10 and following that hasn't happened. Now, with that said. Um, and Anthony, I just want to make sure it's as equally timed as possible as well. So if you wanted to be quiet. quickly wrap up your thoughts on this specific point, and then we'll hand it I over to Matt. Romans chapter 11, uh, which we'll, we'll obviously get to in the, in the sense of all Israel being saved. All Israel will be saved because they will see their Messiah coming on the clouds, as Revelation chapter 1 says, and then they will believe. They're not saved just because they're Israelites or, or, or Jewish or anything. I don't believe that. So, Okay, go ahead, Matt. Well, anyway, Zechariah 12, it, 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 it certainly says, you know, that they'll look on him whom they have pierced. And John quoted that part. And, and then it goes on to say, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and they shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. I have no doubt. We know that Peter was in bitterness for cursing Christ at that time. We know, I'm sure um, Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I'm sure that Paul was very much aware of the crucifixion. If he wasn't there and present, I don't know that he was, but if he wasn't there, he certainly would have been aware of what had happened. Uh, and, and of course, others, I would imagine Nicodemus was mourning. Nicodemus tried to defend Jesus. I would imagine he was mourning as he stood to the side and wept as Jesus was being crucified. I'm sure there was a lot of mourning. And I'm sure that Jews who get saved now I'm sure that the ones who are getting saved after after realizing how many years they rejected him or despised him, they have mourned in bitterness, and yet they're joyful that they've been born again. 
So I, I don't think that in the last 2,000 years that we haven't had any mourning of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I think there has been. And so I think that's fulfilled. I think that's clear. And so I think that chapter 12 is past. I think chapter 13, verse 1, there is a fountain open. It's present tense. Uh, there is a fountain filled with blood, and we are saved through it. And then after chapter 13, verse 1, then the rest of that, it turns into wrath, and it is upon the unsaved. And uh, and so if you try to say, well, but Pastor Furs doesn't provide any hope for the Jewish people, that's not true. I'm telling you, you must be born again. I'm telling all the people, the inhabitants of Jerusalem today and everywhere, and the inhabitants of the globe, you must turn to Jesus Christ and be born again. And so what I'm what I'm really attacking is a theology that does no good when it comes to reaching uh, a group of people. Instead, it's telling them they're God's chosen people when our Bible says otherwise. It says that we we in order to be a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar nation, we have to be able to be born again. We have to have that new birth and to come into God's family. And and so how how does the Jewish people have hope with Pastor Matt Furza's theology? Simple. They need to turn to the same Jesus Christ I've turned to and be born again. That is the answer, and that is the way. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Uh, Hebrews tells us today, if you'll not harden your hearts, today if you'll hear his voice. And so the people who speak Hebrew need to read the book of Hebrews and realize it's today. It's not future. It's not going to be some future seven years. It's now. That's that's just the answer. And, and it's a lie of the devil, and it's, it's very anti-Semitic to teach someone that after Jesus comes and zaps out the Christians in a private, quiet uh, rapture, that then they'll have their second chance. I totally reject that, and I think that's very anti-Semitic to teach that. Let me just say, again, you're using terms and things, and it's unfair. I don't have a book, so you can't. But I don't believe in a second chance. Uh, I don't believe that there's, that, you know, that there's special. I, I share the gospel. I went to Israel as well. I share the gospel every chance I could. Um, they need to be saved. I'm just saying, prophetically speaking, the scripture lays it out. This is what will take place. And again, um, I, I think that you're a, a kind. I think you honestly are, are seeking. I think you've been uh, taken a captive by, uh, in a sense, this uh, a, a wicked interpretation of the scriptures in regards to God's faithfulness. And I'm praying for you. I hope you're praying for me. Now, here's the thing I would say. Uh, again, I think that your view requires, am I talking too much, Donnie? Uh uh, an unbalanced or an an unnatural reading of of scripture um, as as we as you go through and just and as we consider what it's saying. I mean, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It wasn't Paul, and it's talking about a point in time. And Revelation even is more clear in regards to what does it say here? Uh, Behold, come he comes with clouds, and every eye will see him, and they also which pierced him. All kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. That did not happen at the cross. It is future. Every right, eye will see him. That's a different time. I agree. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 is talking about a different time. That's not the same as Zechariah 12. But you and those like you are trying to make it the same thing, and it's supposed to be future. But again, John 19, John, John himself didn't consider it future. He considered it present tense at the cross. Well, if you consider um, the uh, Isaiah 7, 13, in regards to the coming of the, the virgin having a child and that's that was per, that was fulfilled uh, near and then we see the double fulfillment obviously in the person of christ you know as well as i do scripture has uh, can have a double fulfillment even multiple fulfillments uh, there it, he did call his people out of israel or his son out of israel but he also called jesus christ his son out of israel so scripture has these double applications that's what makes it so magnificent and amazing so just because john says it was fulfilled partially by them looking upon um, uh, him who they pierced doesn't mean it's not going to be fulfilled complete and totally 
fully in the future because they did not mourn. And we'll just have to agree to disagree here. Zechariah 12, 10 and following didn't take place at the cross. Paul, we don't know if Paul was there, but he wasn't mourning at that moment. Mary, yeah, Mary, I'm sure Mary was. It was her son. Um, there, John was mourning. As well, but the inhabitants of Jerusalem needing the supplications of grace being poured out upon them to have this recognition, that didn't take place at the cross. But it is consistent with what the Apostle Paul says elsewhere. And I believe that's, we can look at Romans 11 when there's a, when we have a chance. But, so. Well, we know that Jesus fed 5,000 at one time. We know that he healed many people. We know that he did many miracles. We know that he had multitudes of people who loved him and followed him. And I am sure that at the crucifixion and shortly after the crucifixion, there were many people who mourned when they heard what had taken place including the two disciples who were on the road to, to Emmaus. I, I, I just, I, I don't know how you can prove that John uh, wasn't calling all of Zechariah fulfilled. Zechariah 9, 9 well, talks about riding on a donkey. Well, they did look upon him. They did. They, they did. They, and yet Revelation 1 uh, John writes that again. Now remember, John's the same one who wrote Revelation that wrote the book of John. And John mentions the crucifixion being fulfillment, a fulfillment of Zechariah 12. And yet, Revelation 1, John talks about another time when every eye will see him and they also which pierced him. Now, John can't be confused, can he? he certainly, he's not talking about Zechariah again because John told us that in chapter 19 of John, that that was fulfilled from Zechariah 12. So therefore, Revelation chapter 1, John's talking about a future. He's talking about something else. And he doesn't say anything about the morning there. It's different. Yeah. Right? Does he mention the morning in John chapter 19? I think it's two different, it's two different times, obviously. Otherwise, why would John tell us that Zechariah 12 was the prophecy that was being fulfilled at the crucifixion and then turn around and write us in Revelation chapter 1, that no, no, actually, this is going to happen future. So I think that you are the one that's confusing this and not me. And I'm sorry. Uh, and I do appreciate you too. I appreciate your um, demeanor and I appreciate your attitude as well. And I appreciate your praying for me also. And, and oh, by the way, I really don't care if you take up more of the time than I do. I don't mind. I've talked for the last two months. So go ahead. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Let me go and, back and over this. Actually, before you go, Anthony, and I want to give you obviously the opportunity to respond. As time is flying by, we now just hit the 20-minute mark on the discussion. We've had some great points of discussion on Zechariah 12 and also Revelation 1. But I do want to make sure that that we're uh, keeping it as comprehensive as possible. So, Anthony, why don't you res respond a little bit? And then maybe uh, Pastor Matt wants to pick a specific verse to challenge you with. And then we'll go back and forth on that. So go ahead, uh, Anthony. I'll just say in conclusion, um, I, John does say they did look upon him who they pierced. That doesn't mean, and he says in Revelation, it will happen again. And so, but the, all of Zechariah 12 wasn't fulfilled. It can be fulfilled more than once. Scripture does this. Uh, the mourning for one, bitterly is one, the inhabitants of Jerusalem did not mourn for Jesus Christ because they pierced him like one mourns bitterly for an only a firstborn son. That didn't happen. It will happen in the future. And Romans 11, if we get a chance to discuss it, I think we'll show that out. So thank you. Yeah, I, I don't know how you can dogmatically say that nobody in Jerusalem was mourning. Um, I, I think, as I said, there's there was thousands of people that were positively affected by Jesus Christ, healing, feeding, etc. And I don't believe you can dogmatically say that nobody mourned. I, I know for a fact John and, and his mother mourned. I'm sure Nicodemus did. And I'm sure there were many, many others. Uh, but 
again, this is what dispensationalism does. It forces us to have to use our imagination and read between the lines, which isn't scriptural, and we ought not be doing that. And again, if John meant that Revelation 1 and Zechariah 12 were tied together, he wouldn't have said what he said in John 19 when he said this is fulfilled when at the crucifixion. And so obviously there is there's going to be looking at those the ones the one that they pierced, they're going to look at him again when he returns. And that is obviously right. going to be a different time. And and that is going right. to be because these people that are not saved, when they see the one that they pierced, that their genre pierced, that their forefathers pierced, what whatever, right. that their sins pierced, let's just say it that way, right. that they're the unsaved, the sins pierced him. They're going to be realizing it's too late now, and they're going to, and they're going to be very grieved that he's coming again. But that's not the same mourning that took place at the at the crucifixion. Or did Mary mm. pierce Jesus Christ? I mean, would you consider that? I mean, any more than we did. I realize we all participated in some sense, but was she a primary piercer of Jesus Christ? I don't. Or John was he? No, no. You, you misunderstand. I'm saying the mourning at the cross was different than the mourning that's going to happen when Jesus returns. When Jesus returns, it's going to be, oh my, we're not ready for it. We're not ready it's for actually, him to come. In chapter 12, it's the same that look upon him that mourn. And so those that pierced him are the ones that mourn for him. And that's not that doesn't make sense. I mean, Mary didn't pierce no, him. Again, Revelation saying, 1. Revelation 1 says, They every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. That's not the same as mourning for him. All right. They're going to be upset that when he returns, that means that it's true. It's all true. The Bible's true and we're not ready. That's different than mourning for the Christ who died on the cross. And even even Mary was told when when Jesus was born a week after he was born at the circumcision in the temple, uh, she was told prophetically a, a sword will pierce your soul also. Sure. And no doubt she was mourning because of that. Gentlemen, okay. well, we need. Yeah. And and. Pastor Anthony, maybe because you started the discussion, we'll give uh, we'll give Pastor Matt the last word there. And now, if you'd like to, we could uh, move to Romans eleven, or but in this case, since you picked the first uh, topic, Anthony, Matt, we'll let you um, pick the next. So go ahead. Okay. Well, I don't mind if he keeps picking the topics. I sure. I, I I don't mind. Uh... Uh, playing defense rather than offense. Um, I just want to quickly mention, uh, he said he, he he's from Southwestern. That's where you graduated from, Southwestern Theological. Is that correct? Yes, sir. I'm not I'm not familiar too much with the I'm school, except that I, I do believe that, that B.H. Carroll uh, was yeah, the founder of that college. Mm -hmm. And B.H. Carroll um, did not believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, from what I can oh, read. he did. And, yeah. um, he was not you know, Second Thessalonians chapter two, in the beginning of chapter two, Paul says that the second coming of Christ is not only not at hand, but is not even imminent. So he would not even believe in the imminency of of Christ's return. And uh, and then uh, talking about uh, Daniel chapter nine, he had some interesting things to say about that as well, as far as uh, the timing of Daniel chapter nine and verse twenty four through twenty seven. So that that's interesting to me, and I and and I know B. H. Carroll, brother to J. M. Carroll, who wrote the Trail Trail of Blood, and I love that. I love the Baptist history, and and I realize that some of these guys a hundred years ago were not premillennial. I am premillennial. No. I, I I I I am, um, and and so I don't understand why some of these guys weren't, um, but just because they're they're they weren't premillennial for whatever reason. B.H. Carroll also said, you know, we, we never divided over eschatology. It was never something we divided over. 
And obviously, 100 years later, it's a huge division. And again, it has to do with Israel because some people are very passionate about the physical Israel. And some people are passionate more about what I would say the scriptures than 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 the necessarily any group of people. Um, and I, I just I just decided that truth is truth and doesn't matter who who gets hurt. Or, or who looks good or who looks bad. We're just going to tell the truth and, and, and line up with truth. And so uh, when it comes to that, uh, I, I just think it's it's out of context to try to say that Romans chapter 11 somehow switches gears. And uh, and all of a sudden we don't listen to context anymore when we say, when it says, and all Israel shall be saved. That can't possibly mean the way dispensationalists are trying to say it, that all of a sudden God's going to just flip a switch and all Israel will be saved. Uh, that doesn't make sense to me. And I'll let you, if you want to, take it from there. Yeah, Donnie, forgive me for referring back to Zechariah 12, but how all Israel no could be saved is that in this time frame, what's consistent with Scripture in the world that we see around us? We have a scattering of Israel. Um, we have a promise, according to my view, Isaiah 11, 11, that they will be regathered a second time. And they've been regathered. Now, uh, Romans 11, it says that they have been broken off. They had partially an unbelief, but Paul goes on. Well, we can take a look at it, but um, how it makes sense is that we've been grafted in, but it says until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So uh, there'll be a time when the fullness all the, the, of the Gentiles will be over with, and then all Israel shall be saved. So it does make sense that uh, God at that point in time, uh, Jesus Christ returns, puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, and they see him. So they they believe in their in the in their Messiah who delivers them from their enemies around them, you know. And we see Israel today. It says Scripture says oh, they'll be a burdensome stone to the surrounding nations. Hello, I mean, I'm not saying hello to you. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but uh, it, it, is this not a constant source of turmoil in the world we live in? I mean, I guess you and I would at least agree on that. Now, whether or not it should be, we would disagree. But Israel and those nations that surround it is a constant source. You just att attached it. And I'm not saying I disagree with it, but uh, to the Ukrainian war. So it is a constant source. They have enemies all around them. And in my view, according to what I believe is consistent with Scripture, is that in, in the future there will be an attack. And then uh, Jesus Christ will deliver them. And then they see him. Then all Israel will be saved. Does that mean every single Israelite or person that's a registered citizen in the nation of Israel, Jerusalem at that time, leaving Jesus Christ. I don't know. I know. Is, I know. Scripture uses the word "all" in in uh, various different ways. So maybe not. But it would make sense that if they're there, they see them, the one they pierced, they recognize Jesus Christ is delivered them. Oh, we crucified him. That they would turn just like in Acts chapter two, when uh, Peter says, "You crucified the Messiah," and it says they were pierced to the heart. They were cut to the heart. They recognized, oh, yes, we did. What must we do? Well, in the future, when Christ returns, they see him. We did pierce him. Uh, we are, what must we do? They believe. So, yes, it would make sense if Jesus Christ shows up on the scene, delivers that nation, and uh, they see him, and they do. All Israel shall be saved. That makes complete, consistent sense, in, in my opinion. So maybe we would. it would be good to um, walk through uh, Romans 11. Can we do that now or? Sure. Go I would say that uh, verse uh, uh, Romans chapter 11 and verse 1, this is uh, profound for our discussion. I say then, has God cast away his people? Now, let me ask you, who is he referring to in regards to his people? Well, yeah, um, obviously, he's the context is the physical seed of Abraham. OK, 
Okay, God forbid. All right, so he's going to narrow it down. He's going to say, not Israel. And that since everyone is not Israel, that is of Israel. Okay, he said, God forbid, for I am also of, of the seed of Abraham. So Israel as a collective nation, God has not completely rejected. Paul saying, look, I'm a Christian. I believe. All right. Uh, verse two, God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Um, he goes on to say that, uh, yes, they, they've stoned, they, they've killed the prophets. They've done some terrible things. But notice what it says uh, when, it, when uh, in verse seven, what then Israel has not obtained what it sought for, but the election hath obtained it. The rest were blinded. So some of the nation of Israel, they did uh, trust in Jesus Christ, but the rest were blinded. And it says in verse eight that they uh, were given a spirit of slumber. Who is given the spirit of slumber here? Who Who is he referring to? Can you call those people Israel? Is that a fair uh, label to give them? In verse uh, uh, eight, those that have been given a spirit of slumber, can we say that Israel has been given a spirit of slumber? That's slumber. That's my question. Well, certainly in, in that first century, in those first few decades, there were people that were slow to hear, slow to understand, Paul himself being one of those people. Okay. Uh, so Israel was given a spirit of slumber. Um, all right. Uh, they were blinded, it says. And uh, moving on, it says uh, their eyes were darkened. Verse 12. I don't mean to continue, continue down this path, but again, those who eyes, whose eyes have been darkened is Israel. We can call them. We can even say Jews. I realize there's different definitions for the meaning of Jew, but we can say the Jews have been blinded. Are they blinded today? I would say yes, they are. They're generally speaking, although many are turning to Christ, their hearts have been hardened. They uh, will not. They do not recognize their Messiah. Uh, so here you have a, a people that we can call Israel that are blinded, not believing in Jesus Christ. And, and then Paul goes on to tell us why. He says in verse 11, I say, then have they stumbled that they should fall? In other words, fall beyond repair or fall completely and never be um, and, and never be brought back. He says, God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Why? To provoke them to jealousy, right? So they've fallen. Um, God's turned to the, to the nations, the Gentile nations. And this is where we get the concept. Let me ask you this. Why, was, why does Paul say, uh, other uh, areas of scripture say that um, the gospel should be presented to the Jew first and then the Gentile? I, again, if you're saying that there's no hierarchy, I'm not saying there is, but I mean, why does he say, you know, you need to first preach the gospel to the Gentile excuse me, to the Jew and then the Gentile. Why is it, why is that, why is that order there? Why does God put that order there? Well, are, are you aware that, are you aware that Jew, according, according I, I to scripture, that. Jew is the Southern kingdom and Paul. Right, I realize Benjamin. Yeah. So, so to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so to the Southern kingdom, to the, to the Jew first, to the actual pedigree Jew first, uh, to you know, to to them were committed the oracles of God, uh, and and so they to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And so, in in context of what we're talking about here, uh, it will be the Jews getting saved first. They'll have the first wave of evangelism and revival before the Gentiles. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I think I know. Gentiles, let me just understand what you're saying. Are you saying that here, uh, where Paul's talking, he's 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 talking exclusively about the nation of Israel as a whole? That's what you're saying that he's uh, that only the Jews have been have stumbled and not Ephraim or, or the the northern tribes. Is that uh, you're supposed to preach the gospel to the southern kingdom and then to the ten northern kingdoms? Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, but I, I think you're you're asking me a question, and so to the Jew first, uh, we need to we need to remind our listeners that Jew literally in the Bible times was 
was just the people who were still intact, who were not assimilated and scattered all over, Samaritans and everybody else. And so, so to the Jew first. So the Jew first, he's, that's you're saying it was referring to preach the gospel to the southern kingdoms first and then preach it to the northern kingdoms. That's what you're saying? That's your well, the I'm just asking. Kingdom, the, the northern kingdoms were scattered. It wasn't like the northern kingdoms were still, the northern kingdom was still in the area. They were They were assimilated. The only group that was left were the Jewish people, the southern kingdom remnant. All right. So to the Jew first is practical because it goes, it says in Acts chapter one, you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and then Samaria, and then the uttermost part of the world. So, so the step, the order of events is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's just, that's just what the Bible teaches. So when Jesus says salvation is of the Jew, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about to the uh the woman at the well, when he says, I believe it's the woman at the well, the salvation is, is of the Jew. Is he talking about salvation is of the Southern kingdom? Or is that, that term Jew can be used as a word for the entire nation of Israel? So the Samaritans, the Samaritans, like the woman at the well, they had their, their old Testament religion was so goofy. I mean, they weren't even, they, they didn't even worship at the temple anymore. They, they had a different altar system, a different priest system. And so Jesus is simply telling her, Old Testament, speaking Old Testament wise, salvation is of the Jews. In other words, it's still correct what the Jews are doing. You, you Samaritans are wrong. However, the hour has come. Well, you'll neither worship in this mountain or in Jerusalem. All right. So, but he is answering her question by telling her, technically speaking, you Samaritans are wrong. Uh, the Jewish system is still correct as far as the temple and uh, the animal sacrifices in Jerusalem. All right. When Paul says, if I buy in verse 14 of chapter 11 of Romans, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. Is he talking about those of his flesh, just Benjamin, Benjamin and Judah? Is he just talking about the southern kingdoms? Is he not including the uh, 10 northern kingdoms? Is he not? Is that what you're uh, again? How you again, they, they were pretty much lost. I mean, they were pretty much assimilated. They so. Paul Paul is referring specifically to those who had this pedigree, this idea of we can prove that we are descendants of Abraham. That's the big argument in John chapter 8. We are of our father Abraham. And Jesus said, you're of your father the devil. And Paul was one of those Jews who could, in Philippians chapter chapter 1, uh, Paul Paul is, is in chapter 3, sorry, Philippians chapter 3, Paul is saying, uh, I'm Hebrew of the Hebrews. Uh, I'm touching the law. I'm, you know, I'm without blame uh, and and uh, of the tribe of Benjamin. And yet I count all that as dung. And so that was the big deal. That was the big deal with the Pharisees and, and those who could prove their lineage. And that's why they were shocked that Jesus would talk to the Samaritan woman. She can't prove her lineage. And, and uh, you know, her personal life was a mess. But the gospel of grace goes to all. And, it, and, and Jesus, Jesus said to them, he said, I didn't come to those who are, are, are whole. I came to those who are sick, those who don't Amen. need a physician, quote unquote. And so that was the problem with the Jewish people, the Jewish people, the, the, the Southern kingdom that was still intact, the remnant, they were proud and arrogant of the fact that they could prove quote unquote, their lineage to Abraham. That was so special and important to them. And, and one of them, Nicodemus comes to him at by night and he says, you must be born again. I mean, literally just kind of, spit on the whole lineage thing and said, you must be born again. And, uh, and that's the message of Paul in the new Testament. Uh, I counted as dung that I may win Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. That was the big argument in acts chapter 
what was it, 10 and following in Acts chapter 11, uh, these these Gentiles have to be circumcised. No, they don't. But, but no, Pastor no. First, are you... So, so again, uh, the Judaizers had a hard time. The Judaizers and even the Christians who had become born again, the, the saved Jews, even they were caught up with it. That was what Galatians was about. Even Barnabas got caught up with it in the dissimulations of it. And, and so it was a huge thing because it was such an ingrained attitude that they were special because of their pedigree. And the whole message of the gospel is flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And we need to do away with this physical pride and this DNA pride and this genealogical pride. It's done away with, and we need to stop. And that's my Again, whole I don't, know. I, mean, I don't know who has pride um, in regards to this. I'm just saying what the scripture says. In verse 7 of Romans 11, let's get back to the Bible. It says, what then? Israel hath not obtained that which it seeketh for. Is When he says Israel, is he saying just the southern kingdoms? Or is that, is that all 12? Or is it, I mean, how would you understand the word Israel there? Well, if there are lost tribes out there, or whatever it can, it, as far as I'm concerned, it, it doesn't really matter. It's, it, it's just the the unsaved descendants of Abraham. Let's just say it that way. Okay. So, so those those that it says Israel did not obtain what it sought for. So this Israel is seeking for something. That's a different group of people uh, than what we've just discussed about in regards to to the Jew first. I mean, you see what I'm saying? It's it's confusing here. You. Uh, is the, is, is the verse 7, Israel, different from those who you're supposed to preach the gospel to first? The Jew first, then the Gentiles? I, I'm just, I'm trying to understand. Um, he says Israel here. Who is this Israel? Is that all 12? I think he may have answered that. You're saying it could be, right? Well, it could be well, all 12. Sure. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, there could be some remnant from the northern tribes that said, hey, we're part of the, we're part of the lineage of Abraham. And, but regardless, they need to get saved. The election no has obtained it. The election is no the one that's obtained, and the elect well, are the saved. So, so the point is, and remember, the, excuse me, the context uh, is Romans chapter 9 connects to Romans 11, and Romans sure. 9 says they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. And so Paul is just saying, my burden, my grief, my prayer. In fact, chapter 10, verse 1, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Do I have to prove how many people Paul was talking about? No. But I know for a fact that Jews were proud of the fact that they could prove their lineage to Abraham versus many of the others, including the Samaritan woman, couldn't. But my heart's desire is that these physical descendants of Abraham, who I used to be proud of the fact that I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews and of the tribe of Benjamin, the stock of Israel. And yet he said, my, my heart's desire is that they're saved, that they get born again, that they become the elect, the true Israel of God. All right. That's what he's saying here. Pastor, I, again, I agree with that. All I'm saying okay. is that God has chosen a group of people to work through in regards to bringing the Messiah and the culmination of the ages. And then there's an Israel, at least a definition for Israel, that means this nation of people. He's been faithful. He's regathered them. Now, let me get back to Romans 11. When he says in, uh, we're, we're skipping the all Israel shall be saved. But in regards to, um, as concerning the gospel, verse 28, uh, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to uh, uh, make sure let us identify in this chapter that there is a group of people that in scripture does call Israel that isn't saved necessarily, but they're still recognized as a group of people um, because I'm wanting to see, uh, can we add to your three definitions of Israel, a definition of an, of a nation. And so in verse 28, when it says as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Uh, and then it says at the same time, but they, uh, but that's touching the election. Okay. There's that term election. So there's this choosing, 
Uh, they are beloved for their father's sake. Now, please listen up. Verse 29. For the gifts and calling of callings of God are without repentance. So who are the who is this group of people that Paul says in verse 28 as concerning the gospel? Yeah, there are enemies. Certainly they're antichrist in that sense. Remember, Peter was called Satan himself. So this nation is, is said they're enemies of the gospel. But at the same time, they're beloved of their fathers. Who is that group of people? The elect are the saved. The elect are the as true Israel. Who are the enemies of the gospel? Verse 28. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Who is that? That's the unsaved. Verse 28. That's the unsaved Jews. That's the Jews. Okay. But then look at what it says. And, uh, and, and verse the, book of Acts, the book of Acts proves that. The book of Acts proves that the unsaved Jews were the enemies of the gospel, and Saul used to be one of those. I don't but disagree. When he, got saved, when he got saved, he became the elect. And sure. they are beloved for still, the Father's sake. And they are beloved for the loves, Father's sake. He God loves them. everybody. He well, I, I, just, I just want to make sure there's no crowd, because I want to make sure all the points are being heard. So, Matt, let, let's allow you to finish your thought, then we'll go back to you, Anthony. Paul transferred from being just a physical Israelite to a true Israelite indeed, a spiritual Israelite. And as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. And so all the saved Jews and all the saved, whatever tribe they were, are now part of the elect. And even if I can't prove what my lineage descent comes from, if, if I have any Abraham DNA in me or not, I'm also part of the elect and I'm the Israel of God as well. So far, I really don't have a problem with what you're trying to say, because remember, in context, Romans chapter 9 connects to all of this. And Romans 9 says they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. So we have to define how we determine who, which one is he talking about? Well, obviously, there's a physical Israel and a spiritual Israel. And that connects so well with everything else that Paul wrote in the New Testament, especially Galatians. Uh, so anyway, I think I'm answering your question, but go ahead. Uh, with all due respect, you haven't. It says in verse uh, 28 of Romans 11, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. So at the same time, they're enemies concerning the gospel. I'm still asking just specific to that part of the verse. Who are those people that Paul says they are enemies of the gospel? Uh, who Who is that? That would be the unsaved what? Jewish people let, that Paul used to be when he was Saul. Not the ten, not the ten northern tribes as well, or is it just when you say Jewish? I don't have a problem saying that the term Jewish refers to all of Israel, but okay. I want to make so sure. let's just say, sure, let's just say all of them. If 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 this if there were some tribes out there that were northern and they claimed to be, you know, regardless, irregardless, irregardless, the the physical pedigreed people were enemies of the gospel. And at the same time, they're enemies. What else does it say in that verse? I will read it. Um, but it's, but it's, they're enemies for your sakes, but it's touching the election. What? They are beloved for the Father's sake. Yeah. So whether there's they reject colon. their... There's a colon after mm -hmm. sakes. But it's touching the election. They are beloved mm -hmm. for the Father's sake. So Paul's so, the same person. Paul's the same person that used to persecute the Christians. But now that he's saved, he's beloved because he's part of the elect. This verse. That's not what Paul says. That's not what he writes here, man. He writes, they are enemies of the gospel, but they are also beloved for the Father's sake. That group of people. Is that not the same group of people you're saying? That he switches? No. And Jesus is the elect, and all that are in Christ are the elect as well. And so elect is sa saved. Elect is not physical. Elect is not DNA. Elect is born-again people. All right. I, don't, I'm, I apologize. I don't mean to talk over you. I'll, forgive me for that. Elect, elect throughout the Bible, I believe, is consistent 
and it comes through Christ. Jesus is the elect. And all that are in Christ, the same are the children of Abraham. Paul thought he was elect because he was born of the lineage of Benjamin. But it wasn't until he got born again that he was truly the elect of God and the election. And so as the, the election, they are beloved. And so God's always loving the elect. I mean, that's his son and those that are in his son. We are the elect. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I just, I, I think that uh, so far, I'm not seeing what you're trying to portray here. And I know what you're let trying to say, but I'm not seeing it. Let me, let me see if I can state a little more clearly. Again, I, I'm, what I'm saying in verse Romans chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 28, as concerning the gospel, there's a group of people that says they are enemies of the gospel for your sake. But as touching the election, they are beloved of their, for their father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. God can love people that don't trust or don't believe in him. He loves many people. I think I don't limited. I think God loves the world. So he just because people don't trust or turn or believe in him, he can love them. That's the kind of love God has that agape love. And so the nation of Israel, inhabitants of that, members of that can be a beloved of God, be called the apple of his eye and yet still not turn and trust the Messiah. He sent for them. That's the kind of love God. God just doesn't love those who believe in him. I don't believe that. So here, Paul, uh, I want to I just want to say that, again, it seems that it's a forced exegesis and it, I don't. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it, it, I don't know how to say this. You seem to be squirming out of verse twenty-eight. There's one group of people here. They are enemies of the gospel. At the same time, God says, "But they are beloved for their father's sake." You're telling me that that's a different group from the one enemies of the gospel in the very same verse, but are also said to be beloved for their father's sake. Is that not the same group of people? I'm, I'm trying to tell you, it 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 is the same people. For instance, Paul, who used to be Saul, he was an enemy of the gospel. But when he got saved, he was part of the elect, which then fulfilled the promise to the fathers. And so therefore, the apostle Paul is the illustration of both sides of that verse. Apostle Paul himself is, is the illustration of being an enemy of the gospel, but then getting saved. And that's why Paul is saying this, because he says, I know from my own testimony that people, people born in Abraham's lineage can be enemies of the gospel and get born again like I did. And that's what he's saying. He's, that's what he's saying. What you guys are trying to say is that the physical group of people called Israel are the elect of God. That's what you're trying to say, and that's wrong. That doesn't line up with Scripture. And election just but, means... But the, answer, but the answer to your question, the answer to your question is, yes, because Paul's still the same person. Paul used to be an enemy, and now he's a friend. They didn't trust him at first. Barnabas went and found Paul and said, "Hey, I'll I'll risk it, you know." But they didn't trust him, and I understand why, because he was an enemy to the church. But when he got saved, he became part of the elect, and he was beloved for the Father's sake, and he was part of the born again crowd. He was the spiritual Israel, and no longer just the physical Israel. He he was still physical Israel, obviously. He's physically a, a Jew, but now he's a born again Jew. That makes all the difference in the world. But in verse 30, Paul is contextually speaking, he's still talking about these unbelieving Israelites. Verse 34, as he in, in times past have not believed God, yet now have obtained mercy through their unbelief. Then verse 30 gives us the context of who Paul's talking about in verse 28. It's those in unbelief at that moment, enemies of the gospel, but beloved because of their father's sake, yet in verse 30, Paul says, their unbelief. So he's not talking about himself. 
He's talking about a group of people identified as Israel or Jews that while they are in unbelief and need to turn to Christ, uh, they are beloved of their father's sake. They are a group of people to be recognized and that God still has a dealing with it. But again, in verse 30, it says, Pastor First, again, I, I don't mean to press you on this. Is it not giving us the context of who Paul's talking about in, Ro in Romans chapter 11, verse 28? It says their unbelief. It's unbelieving Israel. In unbelief yet still beloved. That's my point. Is that is that an is that a misinterpretation? Unbelief yet well, still God, beloved. God is not all right. You keep saying that the beloved in verse 28, all right, are are just the unsaved that are just automatically going to be pre-programmed to get saved, which is what they don't say that. Verse 25 and 26. I don't believe that. No, I don't believe that. Okay. Uh, these these so what, uh, living here. So what do you, you you skipped over it? So what do you believe verses 25 and 26 when it says what it says? What do you yeah, so and so all Donnie, Israel shall be saved. Don't get upset with me, Donnie. I hate to reference Zechariah 12 again. But again, that's consistent with this. So what do we have? Zechariah 12, you have inhabitants of Jerusalem. They look upon me whom they pierced. And then they mourn for him because they recognize who he is. They mourn that they, that they fact, they crucify their Messiah uh, as one mourns for their, uh, their only son. And then at that moment in time, uh, we have the uh, fulfillment of Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Paul was given this uh, to understand this. And so all Israel shall be saved. All Paul is, is, is saying is that this group of people, they're at hardened in unbelief, but we shouldn't go writing them off as saying they're, you know, son, children of the devil in that sense. I understand there's a way to use that. Um, they are, they are hardened of their hearts. They, but, but because they have been in, in unbelief, we're getting the benefits of that through the mercy of God. Their unbelief is giving us a chance to believe. It's what Paul says. But in the future, uh, when he comes back, puts his feet on the Mount of Olives and delivers the nation of Israel at that point, those at that time, you can say, all Israel shall be saved. Those that are identified on the earth at that time as Israel will be saved because they'll see their Messiah. They will look upon me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And so that's as simple. It's very easy to understand. All Israel shall be saved. Israel here isn't the church. Um, it, it isn't um, Jesus. Jesus doesn't need to be saved. Uh, it, it's Israel is the nation of Israel at that time. They will all be saved that they'll still have to believe. It's just Paul saying they will believe. They still have to believe. Uh, again, I'm, I, I'm even willing to say, does that mean that every single human being that's registered somewhere? I'm not saying that. Scripture does say they'll be restored. Then he'll return. They'll see. They'll mourn. They'll believe. Romans 11.25. And that's consistent with Romans 11.28 through 30. They, they, are they do not believe. They're in unbelief. Nonetheless, they are enemies of the gospel. If you want to say antichrist, that's fine. That's fine with me. Peter was called Satan at one point in time. But while they're enemies of the gospel for your sake, they are still beloved for their father's sake. God still has a plan for that nation of Israel at that time or whenever his, we don't know when the, when the time of his return would be. When that time is, time is up, those nation of Israel will all be saved. So again, who would you say Israel is speaking of in that regards in verse 25? I mean, is it, is it the 12 tribes? Um, is it uh, you and I in that sense? I mean, how much time we have not, Verse 25. Uh, well, what we'll do is, is give Pastor Matt now as much time as he needs to respond to your point and kind of um, circle things back around, specifically on Romans 11, and then we'll make sure we get some of these questions into. So, Matt, go ahead. Take your time. Romans 11, 25, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. 
Again, uh, that verse 26, when it says, all Israel shall be saved, and then it quotes, there shall come out of Zion a deliverer, that's quoting Isaiah 59.20. And it says in Isaiah 59.20, and the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. So there you see the quotation from the Old Testament. It's those who turn, not those who God turns, but those who turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. And when we turn to God, then God turns unrighteousness from us. He turns away from us the ungodliness that we had in our lives. And so my salvation is about me turning to Christ in repentance, and then it's about God turning away the iniquity and the wickedness and ungodliness that was on my account. And so when it says, and so all yeah. Israel yeah. shall be saved, so all Israel is that is how all Israel shall be saved. Now, what I pointed out in my latest book in verse 25, until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. That fullness of the Gentiles lines up perfectly with Genesis chapter 48 when Jacob gave the prophecy of Ephraim and Manasseh. And when Jacob laid his hand on Ephraim, he said that this young man, his descendants are going to become a multitude of nations. The Hebrew translation, multitude of nations, is the same thing as saying fullness of the Gentiles. When, G when Jacob said multitude, that's the same word as fullness in Hebrew. And when Jacob said nations, that's the same word as goyim in Hebrew. And so fullness of nations is the same thing as fullness of Gentiles or multitude of nations is the same thing as fullness of Gentiles. And so remember, Ephraim is referred to as the northern kingdom. Israel, when Israel and Judah split, Israel is called Ephraim. And the prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 37 of the two sticks, the one stick is Judah and the other stick is Ephraim. And those two sticks are put back together in Jeremiah 37. And that is the prophecy being fulfilled. And that's what Paul's referring to here. He's saying the fullness of the Gentiles is Ephraim, and Ephraim and Judah, the Jews, so the Gentile and the Jews brought back together as one. And, and so, thus, that is how all Israel shall be saved. And that so is happening now. That is already you, happening. That is happening now. That is, that, is, that is present tense happening. That happened in the first century in great detail. The major revival that took place was the Jews coming to Christ. The major revival started with hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of thousands, probably 100,000 or more. B.H. Carroll said probably over 100,000 Jews got saved during the time of Acts. And that then refers, in my mind, to the 144,000, see? And that goes back to your question about the beloved for the father's sake, because the proof that God has to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is that there are going to be 12 tribes. There will be. God kept his word that none of the tribes would be lost. There would be 12 tribes, and they, they, that his descendants would be there, and all Israel would be saved. But I do not see this as future. I see this as happening present tense or mostly happening already. We're not seeing revivals among Jews today, but we did see it in the first century. And after the Jews, Paul said, I go to the Gentiles. After they rejected, I, I now turn to the Gentiles. He said to the Jews first and also to the Greek. We're seeing a trickling of Jews that get saved today, and mainly we see Gentiles. But the point is this, is that those two sticks are being brought together now. This isn't future. But people like dispensationalists like yourself, Jeremiah 37 is future. It has to be future. No, it's now. All Israel is the... See, in the end, only the saved people are going to be around. 
only the saved people will still be here. And so that's how all Israel are saved because all the saved are Israel. All the all the Israelites are going to be saved people and all the saved people are going to be the true Israel of God. That's the only saved people there will be. It does it, it, it see genealogies don't matter. Pedigrees don't matter. It doesn't matter. And so the Israel of God Galatians chapter 6 says the Israel of God. Now, who else could Paul be referring to when he says the Israel of God, especially since back in chapter 3, he says there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. He obviously is talking about what we're saying here right now, that the, the people of God, the saved people, are the true Israel of God. That's, that's all there is, the holy nation, singular, one nation of people under Christ, the true elect, Jesus Christ, the elect, and all that are saved in him are the elect of God. That's who it is. And so I, I just, when I read that, I see that. And then after that, you see the words may and might. You might have mercy. You may obtain mercy. That's not, that's not dogmatic. That's you can, you might, you may, but you have to be saved. We all come to salvation the same way through the Lord Jesus Christ. The problem is, is that you guys time it differently. You want to stretch it into something future, but it's now. It's now is the day of salvation right now. But again, that that Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles, Jesus clearly describes as being something future. Luke 21, uh, it says, uh, and they shall fall, verse 24, they shall fall by the edge of the sword, be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles. One, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Jerusalem was trodden down in that since AD 70. Maybe somebody may say a little bit after that. But this is, uh, the, the they are scattered, taken away, led captive into all nations until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So it, he's again, he's speaking of a future time. They are scattered. That's consistent, consistent with my timeline. Let me ask you this though. You keep hold saying- on that, Hold on a second. The fullness of the Gentiles hasn't come in yet. And that's why it's still right. happening. All right. Okay, but, but who are the Gentiles? Think, are you I thinking think from? The, the vast majority of Jews in the first century who could still prove their lineage, that that apparently has, has come to a close. See, the point is, is that I don't think that a lot of, I said it earlier, I don't think a lot of the people in Israel right now can prove any more than I can that they're a quote unquote Southern kingdom Jew. And so right now, Jerusalem is trodden down by the Gentiles. And if they'll get saved, they'll be part of the, the elect. They'll be a part of the born again people of God. See, I, I think we're paying, we're, we're, we're making too much out of mountains out of molehills here. We just need to recognize that it's trodden down of the Gentiles until the fullness of the Gentiles be fulfilled and and then there'll be signs and that hasn't happened yet and so those things are going to happen but they're happening now the fullness of the gentiles is happening right now those two two sticks are being brought together right now and once it's fulfilled it will be done when the last person gets saved it's done it's over and all israel shall be saved there's so much confusion there it, it, with all due respect again i don't mean to be disrespectful i appreciate your demeanor uh, I pray for you. I love you. And I want to say that. I'm just saying that there's there's so much confusion in regards to the way you're defining these terms. When you say uh, the Gentiles, fullness of the Gentiles, you're identifying them. I wouldn't even disagree with this necessarily, that they are the 10 northern tribes spoken of, identified as Ephraim. Is that the fullness of the Gentiles comes in? Are you so, are you part literally of that? Scattered, literally scattered and permeated throughout the world now. So are you part of the 10 northern tribes that... Uh, you're referencing I, believe, I believe that we are we are just completely assimilated. I, I'm sure that I have some DNA of Abraham in me, but I certainly don't need to prove it. I, I just think that we, what, Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles, that's the two divisions that the Bible's talking about here. I, I'm not claiming to be you a see, Jew, and I don't think that Jews can even claim to be Jews, to be honest with you, today's Jews. But, but point, you would have to. Is, 
and now the fullness of the Gentiles. Okay. I see 144,000. I think that 95 to hundred percent of them have already been saved. I don't think that's, that's not in the future. You're a pre-millennial, right? That's what you. Yes. You're, you're okay. Uh, again, I just feel like it's a forced exegesis. You're saying that the fullness of the Gentiles, when Paul says there's now there's no Jew nor Gentile, are you saying he's only talking about there's no longer the Southern tribes and the Northern tribes? See, that, Paul said there's no Jew or Gentile, so Paul wouldn't even talk about this for an hour like we have because it really doesn't matter anymore. Well, write a book humanity. about it. I mean, it, that's what I, I have. You wrote a book. I have. I have. The point is, is that dispensationalism makes such a huge difference between Jews and Gentiles. I'm not. I don't want to. But you guys are the ones that were trying to make a huge difference between Jews and Gentiles. Look, when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, all Israel will be saved. It doesn't matter to me. Who exactly is who anymore? Endless genealogies. I'm not talking about it. God. Look, if, if Ancestry.com can't figure it out, God knows. God can. And how he works right. that out. I don't That's know right. these answers. That's right. But let me ask, right. are you saying that you are Ephraim? You are of the 10 northern tribes of, of Israel? It doesn't part matter. It, it does because scripture, I, I, it's, it's in scripture. We have to. If I'm, if I'm a Gentile, then yeah. Yeah. But okay, but well, I, then, I really so you're claiming I just of Israel. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't hear but you. But you do care. You do care. I mean, and you should. I'm only, not saying you should. Only for the sake of this argument, but really, this is such a waste of time because it doesn't matter. Once you're saved, you're part of the Israel. It doesn't matter what you were before. It doesn't matter if you were a Heinz 57. You need to get born again. The point is, is that you guys are the racists. You guys are the prejudiced ones. You guys are the ones that want to delineate a certain group of people as special. And I think it's very anti-Christ. I think it's very anti-God. I think it's very anti-Bible. Why is it so necessary? And the fact is, there's many people, Ashkenazi Jews, in other words, that have just claimed themselves as Jews. And they have no more proof than you and I have proof that they're true Jews. It's a waste of time. It's arrogance. It's silliness. It's prejudice. It's wrong. It and the book of Acts should have taught us that, that we should stop paying attention to that kind of stuff. We need to stop it. This is just a waste of our time. It really doesn't matter. The fact is, is the Bible says that when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, then all Israel shall be saved. And apparently it hasn't happened yet, but we're getting close. I do believe we're getting close. But it doesn't matter. It just doesn't it matter. My, my belief is that probably all of us have the DNA of Abraham in us. All of us. All human beings. And it just doesn't matter to me, but I think we probably do. Okay. Gentlemen, the goal. I'm sorry. Pastor, no worries. We're going to have a five minute concluding statement at the very end. I figured, you know, we'll save the concluding statements for the very end because I'm looking at these audience questions and there are a lot of excellent questions. And so why don't we wrap up our thoughts and points at the end? And so, uh, Pastor Anthony, if there is anything you wanted to. Uh, you know, respond to just make sure to note it for your uh, closing statement. That was a, a excellent, free flowing discussion and uh, very comprehensive. Romans 11 could basically be a, an entire debate on its own. And so, what I want to do here, though, is kind of deal with several questions at once. And this is why I want to save the closing statements for the end and just give you, gentlemen, a, a little bit of time for back and forth on this question. Because it seems to be a sticking point in the chat, and it has been a sticking point in previous chats on these kinds of debates, and they have to do with the land boundaries. And so, for example, here's, here's a, a, one question that can kind of sum up many, and it says, I've got it up on screen, 
the land boundaries promised are given in Genesis 15 and Israel has not received it yet. And some have said that they've experienced some of it under Joshua, but not the total boundaries and not forever. And so what I'd like to do, Pastor Anthony, why don't we start with you since Pastor Matt just had the last word there. Why don't you take one or two minutes and kind of summarize your position on that? And then we'll allow um, Pastor Matt to respond as well and, and do the same. Go ahead. I think that for this debate, it's um, it's super, superfluous because uh, we're talking about identifying a people. Can they be called Israel and the land? Although I don't think they've received it. I think that Pastor First would say that uh, Scripture speaks about them receiving all those promises. So to spend time arguing about that, I know what his response is going to be. And so I'm, and I'm not going to argue with him about that. To me, it's not so much about uh, uh, measuring out the boundaries of what they're I think they're going to get it, but I'm not going to try to make that case. My point is that they will be inhabitants of Jerusalem. They will be a people called Israel, uh, and God is still has a plan for his culmination of ages working through them. They still have to believe. They still have to trust in Jesus Christ, but those are living at that time when he comes back, puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, they will turn and believe in him, Zechariah 12, 10, and following. So regards to the land, no, I don't think they've received the promised land, uh, the land dimensions, but if pastor first wants to say joshua says that they have okay i'm not gonna i'm not gonna argue with that that's not necessarily the purpose of our debate tonight well thank you very much anthony uh matt over to you yeah so joshua one chapter one one through four um it, it talks about the boundaries even the great river the river euphrates into the great sea uh, joshua chapter 11 says so joshua took the whole land according to all that the lord said unto moses joshua 21 Verses 43 through 45, the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he swore to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it. Uh, Joshua 23, uh, or excuse me, 21, verses 45, 44, 45, according to all that he swore unto their fathers. Chapter 23, verse 14, uh, spake concerning you, all are come to pass, not one thing hath failed thereof. Uh, and then 2 Chronicles 9, Solomon. Uh, verse 25 and 26, he reigned over all the kings from the river, even into the land of the Philistines and the border of Egypt. From the river, we understand that to be the Euphrates River. First Kings 4, 20 and 21, uh, Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river unto the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. Again, the river Euphrates. Um, and Nehemiah chapter 9, 7 and 8, uh, Abram and Abraham and found his heart faithful. And made us a covenant with him to give the land. And then it says, and hast performed, hast, past tense, performed thy words. De Nehemiah 9.23, their children also multipliest thou as the stars of heaven and broughtest them into the land concerning which thou hast promised to their fathers that they should go in to possess it. So when it says all the land in Joshua, so many times it says all the land, all the land, all the land. And then in Solomon's day, it defines the border from Euphrates uh, all the way to Egypt and, and everywhere in between. I, I just think the land promises have been fulfilled. But honestly, again, um, I agree with Pastor Kinnis that it really isn't necessary to talk about the land. Um, I think that's done and, and, and gone. Uh, but that's a great argument, uh, or excuse me, that's a important argument uh, for the people on the dispensational side who want to say, well, that's why we know that the, that the Jews need to be there now because they never quite got all of it. I think that's that's bogus. It's not true. So I, I disagree. I think the boundary promised have been fulfilled and otherwise all doesn't mean all. And it says all the land. And, and in Joshua's time and in Solomon's time, uh, it was fulfilled. And so I would say that 
the very fact that you and I agree that says that they it was fulfilled first of all shows that when God makes a promise he will be faithful to it but uh, also when it says that in Isaiah 11 11 they will be gathered a second time okay they possessed it one time that doesn't mean that that God can't give it to them again as he promised to do in, in, Jer in Jeremiah chapter 30 31 32 and Isaiah 11 11 yeah so we agree they did possess all of it when they're going to possess all of it again they don't now they will in the future and in the millennium they'll definitely possess it Amen. All of us, the true Israel. And this is a specific follow-up for you, Matt, on the same topic and same question. If it was all given, then why are there future land promises in the OT beyond Joshua? Well, again, I, I think that um, what I just said, in the millennium, you know, a new heaven and new earth will come after the millennium, but in the millennium, uh, the meek shall inherit the earth. And uh, so, you know, I, I mean, First of all, when someone says they never got all the promises, I say, hold on a second, because Joshua says they got all of it. Secondly, if they follow it up by saying, well, what about these future land promises? Yeah, well, there's a thousand year reign with Christ and the, the meek shall inherit the earth. But again, uh, that's the true Israel of God. All right. And so uh, I don't think the physical Israel of the Old Testament has any promises left to be fulfilled. I think in Solomon's day and, and even afterwards, as Nehemiah reiterated, they had the land, especially in Solomon's day. So, uh, anyhow, I, it doesn't bother me. I'm just, I think it's, 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 um, not a topic worth reiterating. We talked about that two months ago, I think. Okay. Uh, pastor, I appreciate it. So unless you'd like a response, Anthony, we can move on to a, another question on another topic. And that was good because it, it kind of summed up a lot of the questions that came in. So, why don't we just jump right to the next uh, question then? And so uh, let's see here. Question for Matt. So Cal Preston, thanks for the question. This goes back to the Romans 11 aspect of, of the debate. And so Preston here is asking if the Israel in Romans 11, 25 is ethnic Israel, and not the body of Christ, then how is Romans eleven twenty six not also ethnic Israel? Well, because remember, Paul's trying to talk about two groups of people at the same time. In fact, Romans 9 says they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. And as I tried to point out in verse 28, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies. That's the physical. But as touching the election, they are beloved. That's the spiritual. I just think that Paul is trying to talk about one human group of people, but 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 one side of it, they're not saved, but the other side, when they get saved. And so it, it is confusing because it is spiritual versus physical. But I think when you dissect it and you realize, okay, so then all Israel, the true Israel, they have to be the ones that are saved. Because as I said to Preston, and I know who that is, as I said to him and I said to the last debater, look, even if everybody who is claims to be a Jew physically and claims to be an Israelite physically gets all the land and, and blah, blah, blah. If they don't get saved, they'll not be the Israel of God uh, when all the dust settles because unsaved people go to hell. They're lost. And so, I mean, obviously the only ones who can be Israel in the future, in the millennium and, and, and further on from that in, in eternity has to be the saved. All right. So uh, I think that's obvious. And so Paul's saying, I'm, I'm bur burdened for my physical brethren and I want them to be born again and be become part of the family. So I don't think there's a problem there in, in even recognizing that, you know, Paul's 
somewhat talking out of both sides of his mouth because he's talking about a physical group of people who uh, he wants to be spiritual brethren, not just physical brethren. Well, thank you very much there, Matt. Uh, Anthony, over to you. Floor is yours. Yeah, again, I would say that there's just some, it's just confusion and forced uh, eisegesis in Romans chapter 11 because Paul uh, identifies who he's talking about, those that are beloved for their father's sake. But as he says in verse 30, uh, first of all, in verse 29, the gifts and calling of God without repentance in the verse 30. For ye, as in times past, have not believed God, yet now have obtained mercy. How? Through their unbelief. The there is those that are enemies of the gospel, but yet beloved for the, for the, for the Father's sake. Yet they are in unbelief and still identified as Israel. So, again, true Israel in that sense is the nation of Israel. Are there other definitions for that? Of course, I would agree in, in, in certain contexts. I'm just saying, add this one to your def three definitions, Pastor First. Okay, thank you. And uh, Pastor First, if you'd like the last word, because the question was for you, go ahead. Yeah, well, again, I, I don't know that there's three definitions. I think there's a there is two, as Romans 9 says, they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. There's a physical and a spiritual. Um, uh, Jesus, when he, when he saw Nathanael, said, Behold, an Israelite indeed. Apparently, Jesus knew Nathanael was truly an Israelite indeed, a spiritual Israelite. Uh, otherwise, what else could he possibly mean? They are not all Israel which are of Israel. What else can that mean? Then there's two different kinds. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, Behold, Israel after the flesh. Well, apparently there must be a spiritual Israel if he says, behold, Israel after the flesh. I just think there are two. I don't think there's three or four definitions as, as Pastor Kunis was trying to say, I'm saying, but rather there's just two. There's the physical unsaved and there is the spiritual born again. And the spiritual born again doesn't have to have some ethnic pedigree to Abraham. That isn't necessary to prove, and including my own or, or your own. Uh, but those who claim the physical pedigree, they're the ones that are having the problem. They're the ones that are having a hard time understanding that that really doesn't do them any good. And that's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Agreed. Okay. Thank you, uh, Pastor First, for that final word. Next question comes in from Nakia Boyer. Thank you for the question. Questions for both. Ruth, the Moabite, and Rahab, the harlot, were Gentiles accepted by God and grafted into native Israel. Is there a Bible verse that mentions a coming church age that changes that pattern? Uh, Pastor first, I guess, started with the last one. If you'd like to, uh, Pastor Aquino, you can start with this one. But it's up to you, gentlemen. Um, so, I mean, I'll go. Uh, Ruth and the, uh, the Moabite and Rahab the harlot. Yeah, they were Gentiles accepted by God. Gentiles became uh I guess, a part of the nation of Israel. They're certainly in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Uh, being a, an Israelite in that sense, wasn't you didn't, uh, it wasn't required to have as the DNA necessarily, as, the, as proven by these ladies in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So um, I, don't, I really don't know what the question is, is, is asking, uh, changing that pattern. Um, I'm not sure. I will say, again, when I say three definitions of Israel, I'm getting it from your book. You say it's Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel is the whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. And Israel is the whole family of God. So I'm just saying, add a fourth one to say Israel is those that are in unbelief of the nation of, of Israel. So that's where I'm getting the three from. Thank you, Anthony. Matt, over to you. I love talking about Ruth and Rahab. I love Matthew chapter one. What an what a awesome chapter of the grace of God. Here's these women. Uh, one was a harlot, one was a Moabite, and the Moabites had a pretty poor history uh, for, in their beginning. And yet God specifically, there, there aren't many other women in Matthew chapter 1 that God lists in the genealogy, but he purposely lists Ruth and Rahab. 
and I love it because because they were grandmothers to David and great great grandmothers to Jesus Christ Himself, and it's an awesome story of the grace of God. Unlikely mothers uh, who became mothers to to uh, the kings and to Jesus, the King of Kings, and so I love that. And and yeah, I mean the Old Testament teaches us that even then. Believers, people who submitted to God and were believers, tied the scarlet thread in her window uh, and turned to Christ, you know, through the blood of Christ. I, I believe that that is illustrative of what we're supposed to understand today. It's the same way. You know, it, it, pedigree doesn't matter really to God. God's never been really all excited about pedigree. Uh, he, he wants obedience, obviously, but pedigree is not that big of a deal. And so I don't understand why it needs to be a big deal now. So, yeah, I love those two ladies' stories. Uh, and in fact, I think Ruth was the mother-in-law to Rahab, or excuse me, Rahab was the mother-in-law to Ruth. And that's awesome too. Uh, Rahab, I think was Boaz's mom. And so that's really cool as well. And, and I love the grace of God taught there in that. And I love to teach and preach on that. Um, as far as the Israel thing and, and the three or four Israels, Jesus is the original Israel. Okay. So all of us who are in Christ, we are in, we are included in the Israel of God and the bride of Christ a bride takes the name of her husband, all right? So if he's the groom and he's Israel, then I get his name. I get Israel on my name as well because I'm part of the bride of Christ. And and that's it. I mean, there, you know, there there, there isn't any other. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, that's the same, you know? Um, and so I, I'm not I'm not defining three or four. I'm just trying to show you the different the different ways in which the word of God teaches the one thing, and that is through Christ, we are the Israel of God, through Christ. Okay, thank you very much there, Pastor First. So it was a question for the both of you. You both got to respond. Let's move on to the next one. This is, what's nice is we got a lot of questions for the both of you. Um, and so this one comes in from Tom Walden Official. And it's a question for both uh, pastors. And it looks like it's an exegetical question specifically. So Tom Walden points to Matthew 8, 12. And... We'll read it out. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, Pastor Aquino, you started with the last one. So Pastor First, let's have you start with this one. Take as much time as you need to respond. Do the same thing, uh, Pastor Aquino. And as you're doing that, I got to run to the restroom real quick. So <laughs> go ahead, gentlemen. So the context is back up in verse 8, Matthew 8, verse 8, the centurion. The centurion soldier impressed Jesus so much with his faith. He said in verse 10, When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Okay? And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children, and the Bible doesn't have quotations, but the children of the kingdom, I put that in quotations in my own mind, shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so I believe that Jesus is saying, you quote unquote children of the kingdom, because you think that since you're descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you're children of the kingdom, you're going to find yourself cast out into outer darkness. And here's this Roman centurion soldier who has greater faith than I've seen in all of Israel. So I think Jesus is just illustrating here that the 
pedigreed physical children of Abraham are, are going to find, many of them are going to find themselves cast out versus those who have faith. Because again, as I've been saying all night, it's those that are in Christ by faith that are the children of Abraham. In John chapter 8, Jesus reiterated that when he said, I know you're of your father Abraham, but the truth is you're of your father the devil because they didn't believe on Jesus Christ. And he told them that. And so I think that's the answer there is an, an illustration there that, that Jesus is warning them that you'll be cast out just because you think you're children of the kingdom. You think you're pedigreed, that you're going to be part of the family of God. When the truth is, uh, he told Nicodemus, you must be born again or you won't even see the kingdom of God. Thank you, Matt. Uh, again, Anthony, yeah, go ahead. There's not a lot I would disagree with necessarily that response other than I would take the quotations out. Uh, there is a group of people here that it can be described by Jesus Christ himself as what? Children of the kingdom. And so when it says, who is he talking about? Who's being identified here? Um, yeah, he does say all of Israel. I haven't seen so much such great a fate in all, of, in all of Israel. So there you have Jesus Christ recognizing, identifying, as I'm saying, there's a group of people in unbelief can be called Israel. They can be described as children of the kingdom and yet cast into outer darkness. So who, who is the children? Well, it's obviously those that are identified as uh, the nation of Israel, certainly at that time and in the future. And yet, yes, you're right. Just because they are um, descendants of Abraham, it doesn't make them saved. But it should have. That's what Paul said. There's a benefit to being in Israel. They got the scrolls. They got the, but that doesn't, doesn't seal the deal. You can be a children of the, of the kingdom. Your, your family, your at that time, the children of David, David's promised a kingdom. And yet these people called children of the kingdom will be cast in outer darkness. Why? Because they did, they were not born again. They did not believe in their Messiah. It didn't mean salvation. It just meant God has promises for those people uh, that are identified as Israel then and in the future. And for those that turn to Jesus Christ, they'll be born again. And at that time in the future, it will be all of them because they will see uh, him deliver them. So yeah, the people in the children of the kingdom, it's the nation of Israel. Just like I've said. Okay, appreciate it. We'll, we'll give you the last word there on that one, Anthony, uh, since Matt got the last word on the last one. And okay, so next question comes in from Seamus Crawford. Another, another question for the both of you. So this time, Anthony, we can start with you. Seamus asks, why does Jesus tell the Jews that they are the offspring of Abraham in John 8, 37, but not the children of Abraham in verse 39? Doesn't that mean we are made children of Abraham by the faith of Abraham? Um, yes. I mean, again, I'm saying that there is a nation of Israel that are, or there's children of Abraham physically. And then there's children of Abraham by faith, which we all are. Um, I, there's no, there's no, I don't see any problem with it. Again, this proves my point that the definition Israel can be applied truly to a group of people that are rejecting their Messiah. And here that's, that's being used in both ways. Children of Abraham um, in one sense, in one sense, they're not by faith. So that's, I, I, what was he said? Why does Jesus? Well, because they're both true. They are children of Abraham, uh, but at the same time, they're not children of Abraham by faith. Okay. Thank you, Anthony. Matt, over to you. Yeah. So like we just had that other question in Matthew eight, what good is the children of the kingdom? Quote unquote, if it doesn't, if it's not going to get you to heaven, I mean, yeah, the context here is I know verse 37, Jesus says, you are the Abraham seed. I know you're Abraham's seed and 
I don't want to add to the scriptures, but in my mind, I just think Abraham's seed, quote unquote, physically, but you seek to kill me. And then he goes on to say in verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. So, all right, so what's he saying? Like the, the questioner is asking, so, so which is it? Well, obviously it has to be children by faith. And so verse 44, he goes on to tell him, technically, really, you are of your father, the devil. All right. So again, um, people who claim to be descendants of Abraham, but reject Jesus Christ, they're of their father, the devil, according to Jesus himself. Okay, thank you, uh, Matt. And we'll move to the next. Uh, great responses from the both of you. And so next question here comes in from, yeah, it looks like it's another Bible interpretation question, exegetical question from Accounted Worthy. Who is true Israel? Uh, question mark. But the verse in question is in Matthew 21, 43. The kingdom of God shall be taken from you, the nation of Israel, and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. Question, what nation? And so why don't we start with Pastor first this time? Go ahead. Well, that's very much similar to Matthew chapter 8. And, uh, you know, he he tells the parable of the wicked husbandmen and, uh, and how that they uh, killed uh, the Lord of the vineyard um, and cast him out and slew him. Um, verse 42, Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And by the way, First uh, Peter 2 talks about rejecting the chief cornerstone. And then verse 43, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard the, his parable, they perceived that he spake of them. So obviously they even knew he was talking about them. And again, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you because you thought you had it. You thought because you were born in Abraham's lineage, you had it. But you're going to find out that you rejected the chief cornerstone, Christ himself, the son of God. And you'll find yourself ground to powder instead. Uh, and and so they they knew he was talking about them but they couldn't take him at that time because of the crowd. Appreciate it. Pastor first, uh, pastor Aquino over to you. Very simple. Matthew 21, 43, the kingdom of God is taken uh, from the nation of Israel and God turns to the uh, Gentiles. As he says clearly in the Ro uh, Romans chapter 11, branches are broken off, branches are grafted in, but then uh, God will turn back. He's provoking them to jealousy and that will take place uh, in the near future, I think. So the kingdom, who's he speaking of this nation that he turns from? It's Israel. Uh, he turns from them. Uh, they uh, are in unbelief. It says he's hardened their heart. My point again is to say that yes, you can truly uh, apply the, the term Israel to a group of people, even in unbelief. And uh, I think I've proven my point. And this, this verse here is consistent with that. Yeah, it was taken from them. Romans 11. Why does Paul say that uh, he's, he's uh, except for a remnant, he has declared them as unbelief and he's hardened their hearts and he turns to uh, uh, the Gentiles. Um, so that's what it's being spoken of. Okay, thank you very much. We both got a response. And I'm sorry. Oh, okay. 
Um, okay, let's move to the next question. Another one for both. And so we're kind of taking turns, basically giving each of you the, the last word, uh, taking turns on that. And so this one comes in from Jamie Russell. He says at the end of the question for both. So he asks, does your view end up giving some people a second chance to choose Christ? Why or why not? Please critique the other side. Um, okay, Pastor Aquino, uh, let's start with you this time since Pastor first started with the last one. Yeah, I don't know what he means by a second chance. Look, in Galatians, it says that Jesus Christ in the fullness of time was born, came into the world, born under the law. So God knew when it was a time to send his son into the world at a certain point in time where you would have Israel that would crucify their Messiah. But he also knows to return for his, when it's time for his son to return into the world where Israel will not be of the will not crucify. They're going to believe. So a second chance. I don't get I don't know what it's saying. It's a second chance, maybe as a nation, the concept of the nation of Israel, but not for individuals. Um, the In the future, God knows when when it's time for when the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. Christ returns and that nation of Israel at that time won't do what their uh, 2000 years ago. The nation of Israel did. They will believe. So it's not a second chance. Uh, maybe you may say it's a second chance for the, the nation as the term Israel, but individuals, no, it's not a second chance. It's a different time. Fullness of time. He sent him into the world. He was crucified. And uh, in the fullness of time, he will return and, and they will be and they will accept their Messiah because they'll see him deliver them as Zechariah 12 uh, explain, and other verses explain. So I don't believe in a second chance. No. Appreciate it. Uh, Matt first, over to you. Well, back there in Matthew 21, where we were just at, therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation. Uh, it kind of sounded like Pastor Aquinas was saying there would be a second chance that they would get it back. Well, Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits and then taken and then given back to you. Um, so I, I don't think that God owes the physical nation of Israel anything other than they need to receive Jesus. If they want to be part of the holy nation, the peculiar people that First Peter chapter 2 talks about, they need to not reject the, the stone of offense, the rock of offense, and the stone of stumbling. They need to accept the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And they can be part of that chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people. Uh, and, and until that time, they're, they're lost in unbelief. And again, the only way is christ there is no secondary salvation and um and and so it is it's now it's today now is the accepted time now is the day of salvation today if you'll hear his voice harden not your heart and that's why i don't believe in the in a seven-year tribulation because i don't think there's a second chance i think when jesus christ returns that's it judgment will come right after that and uh and that'll be it there there is no second chance however in this in this day and age we live in i'm so thankful that that just because I rejected Christ once in my life didn't mean I couldn't get saved later. But I don't think that's what the questioner is asking us. I think he's talking about as a whole. And I think we both answered that question. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Anthony. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's fine. You're on mute. I just Go ahead. Jesus says uh, in Luke 21 and uh, 23, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and, by, and shall be led away captive into all nations and Jerusalem shall be trodden down the Gentiles. When? Until the fullness of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs. I won't go into all this, but he does say, and Paul quotes this to say, there is a time when this blindness, uh, this uh, rejection that Israel has, this hardened of heart will end. When? When the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. 
is since it was a question for both and then you got um, a response there, Pastor Aquino, if you want to have a, a final response on this one, Pastor First, go ahead. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, believers are going to fall by the edge of the sword and led away captive into all nations as well until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. I don't think that's a, that's a clear promise that a physical group of people gets a second chance. I think you're stretching that when you say that. I'll be quiet. Okay. I know it can be tempting to uh, the, each one of these questions can oftentimes go, you know, an hour or two. Okay. So next question comes in from Ashley Myers. I appreciate the question. And also just in general to the audience, we've had a fantastic audience tonight with just a ton of excellent questions. So Ashley Myers question for Anthony, wouldn't going through tribulation along with Christians allow unsaved Jews and unsaved people in general equal and better opportunity to become saved because the elect are present. I, yeah, so I, this isn't a debate in regards to uh, the rapture, and I haven't really clearly stated my view. Um, I don't have a problem. You can maintain a, a post-trib view and, and still maintain what I'm saying, is that the Israel can be truly described as a nation in unbelief. So... Yeah, maybe this maybe the questioner is right. I, I could see that. I don't take a hard line stance in my regards to my view of the of the uh, rapture. In fact, I would you could probably call me a partial rapturist. Um, but again, that's not the topic of the debate. Um, so yeah, maybe what this being described here is right. I would say I I could agree with that um, uh, from one point of view. This isn't a debate in regards to the rapture. So maybe this scenario being described is true. Sure. Okay, thank you, Anthony. Uh, Matt, over to you. Yeah, so I think that's the whole reason why pre-trib exists. I think the whole idea of a pre-tribulation rapture theory, I think the real reason it exists is to give, quote-unquote, Israel, the unsaved Jew, Israel, the opportunity to get saved and to somehow fulfill the dispensational viewpoint of all Israel being saved as they say it. Um, in fact, John MacArthur said that that's why he is dispensational, is because there has to be a future for Israel. And that's why I wrote the book, Who is Israel? Because I realized, okay, the real argument about eschatology has to do with Israel. And so I think pre-trib was invented and was brought forth to try to make a way for that to happen. And what it does is it gives a false hope and a false sense of a second chance um, as the questioner's current question and the last question was trying to ask us. Okay, I appreciate it, Matt. Anthony, you get the last word. Question was for you. Again, uh, no, you don't pre being pre-trip has nothing to do with whether or not you recognize the nation of Israel. My, Dr. Michael Brown, as I understand, I could be wrong. He's not pre-trib. He certainly describes himself as not. He's not a dispensationalist, and he certainly recognizes. In fact, he rec he identifies as being an Israelite himself, a believing Israelite. So you don't the pre-trib isn't invented to give the Jews another chance. Uh, it's actually, it doesn't, it's not even required. You can not hold it. You can hold it. Uh, it, it make, you can have Christians preserved through the tribulation while God turns and works with Israel. You don't have to have pre-trib uh, to be, to hold my view in regards to Israel. So. Okay. Thank you. Uh, moving on. Another question for Pastor Aquino from Liberty Baptist Church. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor McMurtry, for your question. What does Pastor Aquino think of being cast into outer darkness means? Um, I guess he's probably would be referring to the ten virgins. Um, 
Well, okay. So I, think I would he might say be referring to, well, if I could maybe clarify, he might be referring to a question we had earlier, uh, right here. You guys, uh, exegeted Matthew eight, 12, <coughs> uh, yeah. cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and nas- uh, gnashing of teeth. Yeah. Could be that one. Yeah. Well, I think they're cast out of the kingdom. So the, during the time of the millennial reign, they are not there. They're in outer darkness. Uh, they're not a part of it. So, yeah, I, not me. I, when it says they'll cast into outer darkness, colon, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Boy, that sure sounds like hell. I mean, or hell. Yeah. Hell. Yeah. So, so the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness, shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, you, you tried to say earlier that, that, that just means that they're, you know, they're, they're not, you know, they're, they're Jews, uh, but they're going to get a second chance. Well, apparently they're not getting a second chance. The children of the kingdom shall be cast out in outer darkness. They shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, that that sure sounds like hell, as you just agreed. And so what Jesus is saying is, is that you have to have the faith like the centurion soldier had in order to be with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to truly be a children of the kingdom, which is the message of the gospel, which he said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. Otherwise, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And cast into outer darkness and that's what happens when people trust in the fact that there's some sort of uh there there there's some sort of promise to them because of a physical lineage and that's that's just not true and it's 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 false teaching and it's it's causing major um major theology uh problems and errors and and uh, even teaching a whole group of people called jews that they have a second chance when when the bible doesn't say that i don't know who's ever said people get a second chance. I haven't said it. I don't teach it. I don't believe it. That's, that's so, what most pre-tribbers are teaching is that, is that, um, I mean, I mean, there's, there's guys like Peter Ruckman and others that have said, uh, the Gentiles have one chance the Jews get a second chance. And it's during the pre-trib it's during the tribulation. They get a second chance. So would, would Peter Ruckman say that they're resurrected to get a chance to believe again? I mean, I don't know. I don't know much about Ruckman. No, what I'm he, saying is no, I, he's saying that the living, the living Jews, uh, that are here after the rapture, quote unquote, uh, well then, you know, that they're the ones that get the second chance and that's how he interprets. And that's how all Israel shall be saved. See? But that's not a second chance. If they're on earth alive, yeah. they b- would be believing. These people aren't giving a yeah. second chance. They, but I think what they mean I by mean, second chance, this, what they mean by second chance is, okay, the, the rapture just happened. Obviously we better get serious about this. That's their second chance. Well, I don't call it a second chance, but I know God's gracious and he's very long suffering. And the tribulation, that time period obviously has taken place to give people the gospels preached, it says. So if that's considered a second chance, I thank God he's given me second, third and fourth and chance to repent, get, get, get right with him after have receiving uh, salvation. That's a free yeah, gift. Right. So um, Many, all of us have had second, second chances. Chance, but, that, but, I don't get that. Right. I mean, weeping and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness, that's there's no more second chance. But the children of the kingdom, would Peter be considered a member of the children of the kingdom? Well, he got saved, so yes. Okay, so not all those that are children of the kingdom are cast into outer darkness. He's speaking to a specific group at that time. Yes, they're, but in the future, and not total, people could be described children of the kingdom are not, by definition, cast into outer darkness. It's those that don't believe. Jesus said to the, uh, the uh, harlots, he said, you will go into the kingdom before the Pharisees because you've heard and you believe. So I'm not disagreeing right. with you. Yeah, belief. Belief is the reason why they're not going to be cast out of darkness. 
but but he's not going to cast them in outer darkness and then give them a second chance to believe. We know that. I've never said that. Who, I've never. Right. I I, I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah. So, but at the same time, when it says children of the kingdom shall be cast out of darkness, I mean Jesus is staring at Jews when he says that. Okay. And he talks about the faith of the centurion soldier, and he's trying to. I think what he's conveying to them is is that it's faith. I've not found so great a faith in all of Israel. And so you guys that think that you're children of the kingdom simply because you're descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you're going to be cast into outer darkness. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. John chapter 8 says, you think you're of your father Abraham, you're of your father the devil. This is all the same context, the same warning. John the Baptist said, you generation of vipers. Jesus said, you generation of vipers. You're, you're of your father the devil. Um, you're, wait, a couple hours ago, you said that I sound very angry or hateful towards Jews. Look, John the Baptist and Jesus both said they were the father of the devil, generation of vipers. But we won't call John the Baptist or Jesus an anti-Semite. We have to understand that warning people with truth and truth hurts doesn't mean that we hate the people we're telling the truth to. And Jesus was telling hard truth to them right there in Matthew chapter 8 when he said, this centurion has more faith than you guys. You guys don't have faith in me. This centurion has faith in me. You guys have faith in your pedigree. And I'm telling you right now, the children of the kingdom will be cast in outer darkness. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's that's the message of the gospel of Jesus to the Jewish people. You need to stop counting on your children of the kingdom status, your quote-unquote children of the kingdom status, because the truth is, if you don't get born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. He told that to Amen. Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You must be born again. So without the new birth, there is no birth that matters. Without the Amen. new birth, there is no birth that matters. Okay. Okay, gentlemen, I'm going to jump in here real quick. And Anthony, no worries. We got the the five minute closing statements now. We could, uh, you know, we could probably do question and answer for ten hours. We got to wrap it up somewhere. So this has been a great debate, an excellent debate. Uh, time has really uh, flown by. I appreciate the uh, professional nature of this debate. You were both uh, very easy debate to moderate, and the conversation itself was was very free flowing. And I really enjoyed this uh, Q&A portion as well. And so we are going to wrap it up now. Final portion of the debate. we got five-minute concluding statements where we can wrap everything up, wrap up any loose ends, final thoughts, final points. Pastor Anthony Aquino, you get the first five minutes. Then Pastor Matt gets five minutes. And then we are going to call it a night. So, Anthony, whenever you're ready, go ahead. Well, thank you again, Donnie, and thank you, Pastor First. And I will, let me just say, I, I apologize if I was too uh, abrasive. Um, I get passionate about God's word. I do pray for you. I think you're wrong. I think you need to. I think you need to repent of this view. Uh, again, I'm not saying a second chance. I'm not saying that uh, anyone who claims they are saved because they are descendant of Abraham, they're not saved. I would agree. All I'm saying is the debate here was who is true Israel, and what I mean by that is can the definition true Israel be applied to a group of people? That uh, physically, maybe there are descendants of Abraham and uh, are still even in unbelief. And I think I've proven that. I think Paul clearly is, uh, lays that out in Romans chapter 11 when he says that um, they are enemies of the gospel, uh, yet they are beloved for the Father's sake. And you have gained, you've believed because of their unbelief. So he's talking about that one group, Israel. Um, also, I, I would say this, I need to, uh, in this verse, the, descend, uh, the uh, uh, disciples asked Jesus after the ascension, or excuse me, right before the ascension, they said, will you now at this time, this is in Acts chapter one, will you now at this time uh, give the return the kingdom to Israel? And so um, they were expecting that. They were expecting a time in which 
the, the he would return the, the workings of God in this world. He would turn back to the nation of Israel. And Jesus didn't say, hey, that's a ridiculous question. Why would you ask that? That's crazy. Don't you know the churches in Israel or something? No, he says it's not for you to know the times that, that the father has planned. He didn't correct their question. That's important. Also, um, the idea of you know what's the benefit of being a Jew if they're not saved just because they're or Israel just because they're Israelites. Well, Paul asked that question as well. He said, to, you know, what was the benefit of being a Jew or an Israelite? He says, well, there was a benefit. You did have access to the scrolls. And so uh, what I'm saying is you're not saved by uh, being a an Israelite. You have to be born again. You uh, must believe the gospel. You must trust in Jesus Christ. And that's true for everyone. But that doesn't mean that God can't work through it time uh, in a future sense uh, through the nation of Israel. And that doesn't mean they cannot believe in their Messiah when they see him return as Zechariah chapter 12 clearly states. That's all I'm saying uh, that uh, there, what do we see in the world right now? We see Jews scattered throughout the world as the scripture promised. We see them generally speaking, not all of them, but most uh, people who identify as being Jewish, not believing in their Messiah. That's true. It's unbelief. That's what it was uh, prophesied. But we also saw the regathering of Isaiah 11 and 11. I will gather you again a second time. And we see that taking place. We see that beginning. God's promises, there are without a revocation. He is faithful and his grace is amazing. And it's amazing to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And I'm a, benefic a beneficiary of that. And I love it when the scriptures, uh, when we can see in the scripture God's faithfulness and his love, even for people that crucified his son, he still has a love for them, even for those that reject him and will end up in eternity in hell. He still loves them. He still loves them. And he's not rejected them as a nation in regards to this time. And he has a plan for those at that time when he returns, they will believe because they will see and uh, praise God for the truth of his scriptures. Amen. Thank you again. Pastor Anthony Aquino, thank you so much for that five-minute concluding statement. I appreciate it. Pastor Matt First, you now have your five-minute concluding statement. Go ahead. Well, in Acts chapter 1, when the disciples asked him, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel, uh, they still misunderstood. I mean, they were still arguing in Acts chapter 10 and, and, and so forth. They, they still misunderstood. It wasn't until Paul came along and, and uh, God used Paul and, and inspired Paul to write what he wrote and that they learned, Peter had to learn. Peter was part of this group in Acts chapter 1, but Peter had to learn uh, that Gentiles were going to be a part of the same body of Christ. There is no, God is no respecter of persons. So before chapter 10, they still were misunderstanding this concept of them being better than the others. Even though they were saved, they still misunderstood it. And so uh, that's not a good reference to use to try to prove something because it's obvious that they still misunderstood the true Israel of God. And, and Paul clarifies that later in the New Testament. Uh, as far as gathering, and you you quote Isaiah 11 about regathering the second time. Well, listen, Matthew chapter 24 talks about gathering. It's, he shall send his angels with the great sound of the trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds. And so that's, that's the return of Christ. That's the gathering. That's the regathering. The 1948 is a false, a false theology of gathering. Uh, it's not the gathering of, of anything special. It's the gathering of something phenomenal. Because as I said earlier tonight, it has to do with the whore of Babylon and the mother of harlots. It has to do with the showdown that we see in Revelation. That's, that's this false gathering that the Rothschilds, through the influence of Satan, are doing. That's what's happening now. And that's the, that's the hoodwinking. And that's the fooling that's happening right now. And really, what's the big point? I mean, you guys are, are so respecter of persons in all of this. You're trying to say that this group is still special when 
when it's so obvious that they are unsaved and Christ rejecting? Why is it so important? I mean, you, you agree that all people have to be saved, including Jews. They all have to be born again. So why argue it? Why not just get about preaching the gospel to every creature, as Jesus said? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, everyone. And so there's just no need to make such a fuss about it. But but dispensationalism does. And so what it does is through the pulpit, into the church, into the pew, we have people today that think that Israel is special and that if we bless them, we'll be blessed. And it's almost like a lucky rabbit's foot or a talisman that we got to have uh, this this nation of Israel uh, someone that we are a darling to, that are a darling, and we bless them and and, and coddle them, and, and and at the at the expense of of treating the others in the world, especially in the Middle East, second class. It's very wrong. Uh, no wonder Arabs, uh, Muslims, uh, despise Christians because the majority of Christians in America are pro-Israel. For what reason? For what point? Look. If God wants to take care of Israel, he can handle it. He doesn't need the $11 million every day from America. And he doesn't need me to prop them up. He can take care of it if that's what he wants. But I'm not going to get blessed because I'm blessing Israel, the physical Israel. That's a lie. Not only is it a lie, but it's doing damage to the evangelism that should be taking place in the Middle East right now. <clears throat> and so you have a lot of humanitarian aid going on in Israel where these Americans are over there just patting them on the head and not really preaching the gospel to them. And on the other hand, you're just rubbing the Muslims the wrong way and teaching them something that, that isn't in the word of God concerning uh, how, the, how the God of the Bible favors Jews over, over Arabs. And, and what, what is that? That is not right. Uh, Paul said in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. This the, Acts there's no Peter said there's no respecter of persons. Paul said it. God is no respecter of persons, and yet in the average evangelical church in America, there is respecter of persons, and it's wrong. It's dead wrong. Our our nation was founded on the idea that all men are created equal, but that's not what you hear in church, and it's wrong. It's it's racism. It's it's prejudice. It's wrong, and it's doing no good. And and since you agree that they have to get saved anyway, why argue? Why make it a big deal? Why is it so important? Look, the, the false hope of being a Jew does not is not going to take anyone to heaven, and you agree with that. So what's the point of making anything special about them? And is God going to be unfaithful to the nation? No, because he's provided them the Savior, and if they'll turn to the Lamb of God and be saved, they can be saved. That's the point. They need to not reject the, the chief cornerstone, the stumbling stone. They need to turn to him. That's, that's the most... That's the most beneficial thing and beautiful thing he's ever done for them. They have to turn to him. And, and the people who teach otherwise are, are really not helping and promoting and advancing the gospel. So we need to we need to realize this really is simple. We just need to preach the gospel to every creature and not recognize any ethnicity or skin color or background or DNA as special above anyone else. That is the point tonight for me, is that who is Israel? Israel is Jesus Christ. And they that are in Christ, the same are the children of Abraham. In Christ, I am a new creature. In Christ is the key. In Christ, if I'm in Christ, I'm in Israel. If I'm in Christ, I am in the Israel of God. And no matter what you are in, some pedigree of Abraham or whatever, if you're not in Christ, you are not the Israel of God. That's the point. And that has to be the point. And we can argue all this stuff if we want to, but that's the bottom line. And so what's the point of all this other stuff? We need to preach Jesus Christ to every creature. And that's about all I have to say. 
Okay, Pastor uh, Matt, first, thank you so much for that five-minute concluding statement. To our debaters, our guests tonight, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. It's another uh, three-hour debate in the books nearly with uh, just a lot of excellent points of discussion. And also to the audience, thank you so much for all the input, support, feedback, and of course, questions. So with that, uh, we are going to wrap it up here. To the audience, please share this around. This kind of content is important. And discussing these issues is important, which is why we, uh, we uphold critical thinking through these debates. So again, thanks for tuning in. God bless and standing for truth is out